We have a pandemic of misinformed doctors and misinformed and unwittingly harmed patients. Pfizer's request to the FDA to approve the booster was uh, to a great deal based on the Israeli data. But what the world did not know was that actually for the entire year in which almost the whole population was vaccinated, two or even three doses, Israel actually did not have any monitor, any functional monitoring system. There's another group of patients as well who haven't had a lot of press, and these are the people who have developed long COVID-like symptoms seemingly just from a vaccination as opposed to from COVID infection. Let me just say this, uh, Reverend Sharpton. It is uh, very well documented that words nowadays can actually uh, break your bones. Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant, independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Saturday, December 3rd, 2022. I've got a really good show planned for you today. I mean, almost every single thing we're talking about could be its own headline for its own show for its own focus. And actually, I added, sorry for the delay getting started today. I'm, I tend to sometimes run a few minutes late, but today we're about 15 minutes late from the set time. One, because of the near ubiquitous technical issues that seem to happen in a thousand different ways, different every time, every single show that I don't always get into. Just that on top of uh, two things that I added last second. One is an article we'll get into. And again, these two things in and of themselves could be the headline today. It's just there's so much there's important stuff to talk about. I mean, and as you can see from the headline, we are going to be talking about what I just called the Twitter psyop. Now, that doesn't have to mean everything and, or, you know, everything under the sun Twitter related, but I just really see how this is being used. And that, again, doesn't even have to mean that Elon himself is involved or on and on and on. That we don't know is the point. However, this is going and whoever's involved, it's obviously being used. I think it's really important for us to flesh out some of this. We'll go over the censorship. In regard to Yay, which we've talked about over the last couple of days, or I did on a few different shows. We'll talk about the interesting reason that happened. We'll talk about what that means. We'll talk about the, inf- the overlap with the direction of where this goes and what all this really adds up to. And I see the overlap personally with the hate speech, words are violence agenda, which has suddenly blossomed everywhere. Now, it's been going for a long time, but you can't miss the transition, as I talked about the other day the switch from a lot of different things into this new direction, which seems to encompass the idea of medical misinformation as well as hate speech. And it's this perfect direction going forward in their minds. And we're going to show you how all of this ties together. We're also going to talk about a COVID-19, really just the, the desperate fleeing from accountability from all of these people that were involved as the obvious information continues to just in a waterfall fashion, come out of every possible direction. Now I'm kind of finding it hard to believe that's what was supposed to happen. It's always possible, but it's interesting to see some of the people that basically if it was supposed to happen, these would be the middle rung people being allowed to get thrown under the bus. If it wasn't, then these are all of them trying to flee from accountability and they're the ones being thrown under the bus. However you look at it, it's obvious that your work and people speaking out and independent media has 100% made a difference more visibly in this topic than I've ever seen in my life. So keep doing it. Keep working. 
There's a one of the points we're going to get into today that was inserted. We'll read through together. I haven't really dive into dove into it deep because I just saw it before I went live, but I figured it was important to talk about. A scientist who worked at the Wuhan lab now says COVID was a man-made virus and it's implicating the U.S. government. It's very interesting. But we're also going to talk about, well, just the, the, the finishing part of it will be a lot of COVID-19 discussion around the bivalent injection. And just really, as far as I'm concerned, the undeniable evidence that this thing is falling flat on its face for exactly the reasons we thought. And, and their own narrative is showing you why it wouldn't even work. Dismissing things based on the same reason that they're now pushing the injection. It's absolutely ridiculous. And I don't even think many people that are still pushing it even realize that, which seems to explain why they're not the most intelligent people still pushing something that's obviously false. Because they're not very intelligent. I'm just kind of kidding, but not really. That seems to be the obvious example of what we can see today of people that are just so perfectly trained to follow what they're told to believe and believe that's intelligence. It's very interesting. Now, we're going to start with a shout out to, uh, well, actually make sure I didn't miss something there in general. It was the, right. Okay. That was everything. So the starting point I wanted to shout out was a, a recent interview I just had with James Corbett, which I thought was really, really well done and important. Now what's interesting by the way, is for those that saw my outstanding interview with Dane Wigington on the, the geoengineering focus of it all and where this connects with it, these two things together, I think are really important. And as I understand it, their general opinions are almost entirely aligned other than a small difference on the percent on like the carbon aspect of it and how it plays a role. Both of them are very clearly pointing at the climate change agenda and lie in order to, to usher in what we're talking about. Now, I just hope you'll watch both of them and, you know, keep your mind open for a lot of this stuff, because these are things that most people in the middle ground of this just it goes against everything we're told from the corporate media, which for you normal T-Law viewers, you're going to you, that's not going to be a surprise to you. But it's a great interview called The Climate Change Gambit and its transhumanist roots, which is where we kind of focused on at the end and where this really does tie back to. And that may seem pretty outlandish to some people, but it's important to understand this is not a secret thing. It's openly discussed. And the technocracy, the Great Reset aspect is the middle step between these things. Very important to see. Now, let's start today with the Twitter files. Now, this is now what we're going to go through in the Twitter segment here today, which is actually, I mean, I've, I've in many ways over the last so many shows been a little bit poo-pooing on the idea of the Twitter focus and how it's not important. And in, in some and in ways I pointed out then, I still agree with. But it's obvious that Twitter itself as a platform, not because of the social media and posting what you ate last night, but the real, the real, what it really is meant to serve as is really important to the establishment. I think that's very clear. And it's all a lot of social media, but specifically Twitter. So it's interesting to see how this is all played out. So we're going to talk about what was just released, if you can call it that which I think is very important and seems interesting, assuming this is all genuine, seeing as how we're just looking at Matt Tybee's Twitter page and things he says he's seen, and that's the gist of what we're looking at right now, unless there's something out there that I haven't seen yet, which I've been looking and following the conversation today, and how interesting it is that this is being taken at face value and hope maybe it's true, and it probably is if we took my gut, but we're going to talk about what that means and why it seems very selective, selective transparency, selective outrage, everything today. And why this is the two-party paradigm in full effect, even if this is true. Then we're going to talk about the interesting part about the censorship and why he, Ye was censored and what that means. And the very interesting part about the, the symbol that was used and whether this might actually be a game being played. And then we're going to talk about the same point, but how it relates to the hate speech, words are violence agenda, which is now being, whether he knows it or not, in it continued by Elon Musk himself. 
censoring somebody for posting a symbol. Whatever you perceive that symbol to mean is not violence. Promoting violence even, especially when shared with something that says love everybody, regardless of what you think about it. But that's what just happened. So whether or not you're taking a side in all of this, people are being censored, even in Elon Musk Twitter, for hate speech, for words that are violence in the way that they're talking about it. That's really concerning to me, and I'll show you where this seems to be going. It's very, very concerning, guys. And I think that the problem is that a lot of people are choosing not to see where this seems to be going. Now, starting with the Twitter files, here's Matt Taibbi's thread. Now, as I understand it, and I'll show you Twitter, Elon Musk's own tweet, this, this is essentially a, a data dump to Matt Taibbi directly from Elon Musk. And according to his own tweets, Elon Musk was intimately involved in even the fact-checking, which seems a little strange to me. Right. That's not usually how that goes. Usually if it's a leak, you know, you leave it to the, the journalist or, you know, whoever's involved to break it down. And, you know, it, well, I would it's you could argue from like a whistleblower perspective, which is how this is framed. And it is accurate to a degree that that has happened and could happen in the past about what it means and so on, because he knows he's working for Twitter. But Elon Musk is not a neutral player in all of this. So it's interesting to see somebody who clearly has stake in the game investing and involved in the process of the actual data when that yet the main point for me is that there really is no provable source material that does not mean that it's not there i want to be very clear about that because as usual from the partisan game people will attack me for pointing that out as if what i'm saying is that it's fake hear me i'm not saying that the point is we don't know and that's the point in all of this stuff so matt apparently has seen it now matt has a reputation and apparently all of this is now resting on that reputation and saying that this is what he saw that was given to him. And I'll get into why even even apparently there were stipulations that he wasn't allowed to do this or that to be able to put this out. It just the whole thing seems very strange to me. So the right, the objective and honest perspective to take on this is this seems interesting until it's proven with source material. He could be wrong. He could have been lied to. Elon Musk could have given him half the story and said, here's everything. Do we know if Matt fleshed it out? I mean, we don't know. Let's go through it and look at it for ourselves. Before all of that, let's just take it at face value. Let's go through this and read it because personally, this aligns with a lot of what I would have thought is happening, but it does very clearly slant in one direction, but that doesn't mean it's not true either. Now it says, what you're about to read is the first installment in a series based upon thousands of inter internal documents obtained by sources at Twitter. Which, why in the world, if we're talking about transparency, wouldn't it have been the very first thing to do to just put this data out there? As opposed to, to leaking it out through an intermediary, then which you don't get to see it. And then leaked out in installments for maximum reach and whatever you're trying to achieve. Which doesn't seem to be primarily transparency, does it? That's just, I mean, this is more transparent than before, assuming this is all accurate, right? Everyone's going to jump in and take their stance about what they want to be the case, typically based on their political beliefs. None of that has to do with whether this is proven, right? I just, it's so frustrating to have to weed through all of this to get to the truth every time or the lack thereof, based upon thousands of internal documents. The Twitter files tell an incredible story from inside one of the world's largest and most influential social media platforms. It's a Frankensteinian tale of a human-built mechanism grown out of the control of its designer. I mean, we're being fed a book here, right? I mean, we get six, seven tweets in before we even get to data. Now, I'm not saying that means that it's bad or right. I'm just telling we're being sold here. It doesn't always have to be a bad thing. But I think that's very telling when we were promised transparency. You know, we promised the people have spoken. Everybody who was banned, 
who didn't break the law or spread spam is welcome back. Except, wait, we've only seen like three people come back or four, like, or, you know, more than that, they're on the sides. But where are all the doctors? Where are all, where's my, I'm still banned. I mean, where are all the people that you promised? So this whole thing seems very fishy to me as if we're being thrown bones to make it seem like things are happening, but not really happening. Just my surface level opinion. Twitter in its conception was a brilliant tool for enabling instant mass communication and blah, blah, blah. And in early conception, Twitter more than lived up to its mission. What is all this? I mean, truly, like I, this is this is we're being sold on the, the, the virtues of Twitter. I mean, I, or just rather, I guess, just stating what the technological advancements were. I don't see the purpose personally. As time progressed, however, the company was slowly forced to add those barriers. Some of those tools were controlling speech and designed to combat likes of spam. I mean, you could have started right there. Easy. Slowly over time, Twitter staff and executives began to find more and more uses for the tools. Outsiders began petitioning the company to manipulate speech as well, which is provably coming from all sides. We've already seen this in the past. But yes, as even Elon himself said, was slanted to the left. Or in the case of the left doing more so just to suppress the right. But he even said himself that it was on all sides. Elon himself tweeted that, you know, over a week ago. It says, by 2020, requests from connected actors to delete tweets were routine. So here's where we get to interesting information. Now, here we have a screenshot. That's not proof or evidence. Or, I mean, it's not proof. Evidence of something. But then we have to assume that screenshot is accurate. Now, for those that are acting like this is being too objective, like, we have to realize how broken everything is today. We're in a world where this stuff, especially on social media, is they want us to funnel through mediary or mediums like this. They want us to be the choke points of information. So instead of us seeing and checking it for ourselves, we trust that they looked at it and told us what it looks like. Now, just because this is not your typical corporate media person does not change that. Well, I mean, I, I tend to kind of see it that way, to be quite honest. A lot of people don't see Matt Taibbi as that person. But either way, I just am frustrated as we even beginning getting into this, why we I'm just I want to just put it aside and be like, I don't even care. What, I want to see it. And then I'll go from there. Show me the transparent documents I can read so I can come to my conclusion, not so I can read Matt Taibbi's conclusion. Frustrates me. And I'm not even trying to I'm, it's not it's likely not even Matt Taibbi's fault. He got contacted as a journalist. He would want to break this story. I understand that. And clearly he's being bound by specific agreements with Twitter, which are specifically Musk. Deleting tweets were routine. One executive would write to another, more to review from Biden team. They reply back, handled. Now, this is being spread everywhere right now. And of course, the partisan players are, are tweeting, captioning this as, we knew it, there's the proof, evidence, he said it, it's happening. Now, just let that reflect on the level of journalism we have out there. You know, sort of like how Fox News has been screaming Elon Musk is saving free speech for the last week. Now, you couldn't believe that if you want. But are you really going to pretend that's a journalistic perspective of fact? Did he sign an affidavit? Do you know him personally? Did you have a little chat at the end of the day on the phone? That's maybe possible. The point is, that's not what's happening. They're saying he's doing that because that's advantageous for their stance. And maybe it's true. They want it to be true. But clearly, based on all of his actions, it's at best a half-hearted effort. Alex Jones can't come back. All you guys aren't going to be acknowledged. And then we're going to not do what we say and drip things out without the source material. Going forward, celebrities and unknowns alike could be removed or reviewed at the behest of a political party. Right. I mean, I, I, first of all, not this isn't this isn't in regard to the didn't are we all did anybody really question whether this was happening? Just to my personal point. It's still important that we prove this and this isn't proof of that just yet. This is Matt saying he's seen proof and talking about it. Both parties had access to these tools. That's important, guys. For instance, in 2020, requests from both the Trump White House 
and the Biden campaign were received and honored. Now, why now why can we why are these things being picked out even from the partisan players acting like the only thing this calls out is the Biden administration? Now, we'll get to the bigger parts. But this implicates all sides. Now, it says. This system wasn't balanced. It was based on contacts because Twitter was and is overwhelmingly staffed by people of one political orientation. That's clear. There were more channels, more ways to complain, often to the left, so on. Now, these are links to other documents, which by the way, you can go through and look at for yourself. But none of these are these aren't things that are, you know, breaking leaks coming from Elon from inside Twitter. These are associated information points that he concludes to make these points. Now, it says the resulting slant in content moderation decisions is visible in the documents you're about to read. However, it's also the assessment of multiple current and former high level executives. Now, you can go through this for yourself. This is a New York Times post, excuse me, New York Post article from 2020. These are images, images. This is an art web archive of an old document, right? But the, these aren't, I'm not seeing links, I'm seeing images. Now I'm just like, I know I'm being, no, I, I shouldn't have to qualify it. I'm not being nitpicky. This is not, at, this is not proof. This is statements of what he's seen claiming it's proof. But yet it's reported as the documents you're about to see. Now, I don't find that to be by accident, personally. I think this is about trying to get people to think this is enough. And as long as we get one person to say this is what they've seen, this leans in. I mean, don't forget somebody like, uh, what's his name? Um, the, yeah, the new, one of the New York brothers, Cuomo, on CNN saying, you're not allowed to look at WikiLeaks documents. You just have to listen to what I tell you, they say. Why is this any different? Now it says uh, the resulting slant content, visible documents you can read. However, it's also the assessment of multiple current and former high-level executives. Okay, there was more throat clearing about the process, but screw it, let's jump forward. The Twitter files, part one, how and why, so I guess we're now, now getting into it, how and why Twitter blocked the Hunter Biden laptop story. Now that seems to be the primary focus of the whole damn thing. Now, trust me, I, that's wildly important, and it goes far beyond just Biden's family, even though very clearly they are mired in this story. And obviously, right in that part of it, there's a huge one-sided slant to this. But are we really going to pretend what's going on in Ukraine, for example, only implicates one side of this game? But yet, this is a very selective leak. Imagine the kind of information, if he's got this kind of information, that Twitter has about all of this stuff. I mean, it's probably endless, but this is the one thing that gets put out. Now, that's important because that's a story that I do believe needs to be fleshed out and needs to be clear because it is true. And it's embarrassing how clearly people are trying to cover this up, probably for personal reasons. But it's another partisan bone, if you ask me, sort of like kicking Alex Jones to the side, but letting Trump and certain people back on and going, is that good? Are we good? <laughs> Free speech, right, guys? No, no, not at all. And a lot of people even supporting him right now are saying the same thing. Where are all the things you promised? Except he's acting like he's only outraging the extreme sides of both left and right. But the reality is the people who are truly upset about this are what he's pointing at as the 80% that are agreeing with him. But they're not. The comments are clear. People are going, where is what you promised? And that's not extreme left and right. That's the majority of people right now expecting transparency. And maybe this will pacify the people that are on specific sides. It'll outrage the left and, and dig in the right. But the majority of people right now, I think, are going, this isn't enough. On October 14th, 2020, the New York Post published Biden's secret emails, an expose based on the contents of the Hunter Biden's abandoned laptop. Twitter took extraordinary steps to suppress the story. 
removing links and posting warnings that it may be unsafe. Like that right there, that is wild with what we know and even what we knew then. The fact that you can suppress a story that's breaking, even if you want to pretend it's not true, you know how often, like just take Poland, for example, how often the mainstream media completely toes blatant false information. So the point is not that it should all be gone, but it should be no censorship is the point. But they removed it because it was true. That's, I think, the obvious point we're at here. But it says they even blocked its transmission via direct message, which shows you the point, I think. They just really wanted to stop this from spreading. A tool hitherto reserved for extreme cases. Child pornography. Which, by the way, the idea that they can come into your direct messaging and manipulate what you're sending for any reason is wild. Because that is and will be abused regardless of the justification and you agree with it or whether or not you agree with it. White House spokesman uh, Kylie McEnne uh, was locked out of her account for tweeting about the story, prompting a furious letter from Trump campaign staffer. All right, so, so far, where's the transparency about Twitter other than him stating what he's seen and which most of us are like, well, yeah, duh. We all seem to kind of know that the left is like, yeah, good, because that's bad people. So they agree with it. The right saying, well, yeah, we knew that because they're hiding the story. So everyone kind of generally knows what's going on, even though this if was actual documentation would be important because it would prove that. But we're not there because this is a screenshot and one guy saying he's seen something and that's not going to be enough for the left who wants to doubt it. Right. The right's already and agree with it regardless, because they already do. So all this is going to do is def- is do. Guess what, guys? Divide people along lines just like everything else. This led public policy executive Caroline Strom to send out a polite what the F query. Several employees noted that there was tension between the comms and Paul. So just in case you want to see these things, it's just it's just a screenshot. Hey, team, you're able to take a closer look. Thank you. Right now, I guess we can assume. These things mean what they are or are there, or, I mean, some of these are just references to tweets. My point being is that we're ta- if we're talking about anything behind the scenes, how do we know that it's accurate? Now, that's not even meant to attack Matt Taibbi again. How do we not know that Elon didn't give him half the story, or he altered something, or maybe something was given to Elon that he didn't know was altered? Like, the fact that people just take what face value, what they already think is happening because it aligns with their ideas, is one of the most important social engineering feats of, I don't know, whenever, <laughs> the last hundred years, I don't know, however long has been going on, Now, it says the note returned the answer that the laptop story had been removed for violation of the company's hacked materials policy, which is an interesting statement. Again, but these these were all things that were out there and discussed prior to this. Although several sources recalled hearing about a general warning from federal law enforcement that summer about possible foreign attacks, there's no evidence that I've seen of any government involvement in the laptop story. In fact, that might have been the problem. Well, that's interesting. Okay, so there's no evidence, according to Matt Taibbi, of government involvement in the laptop story. For all the people that are sharing this right now as the bombshell that Biden's involved, how how does that not break the whole story? He's literally going, well, the government wasn't involved at all. So now you're blaming this on a bunch of Twitter employees? Certainly possible. But I don't think that makes sense. I think we've seen pretty obvious evidence, maybe not proof, that governments have had their fingers in all of this. But... That's one of the things people are picking out of this when that are trying to be objective and going, well, wait a minute. Now, did he look for more evidence? But what's interesting is, some, as other people point out, a very clear caveat in here that you don't get in anywhere else in this thread. There's no evidence that I've seen of any government involvement. Why that kind of caveat in this statement? Couldn't you just say there's no evidence of any government involvement? I mean, you don't make that kind of that I've seen in every other statement in this thread, which 
would equally be relevant because it is all what you've seen versus what you're showing us. That's an interesting thing to think about. Now, the question people made, did he look for more evidence? Is there even more to look through? Or is he just skimming through a pile that he was handed, assuming that's everything? I don't know. I find it really hard to believe that we're going to pretend there's no evidence of government involvement at all that he's seen. But it says the decision was made at the highest level of the company, but without the knowledge of Jack Dorsey, which again, really? I mean, it's pretty obvious that Jack Dorsey was either a willing complicit with the allowance of all this to happen or was completely part of it because it's odd that suddenly Elon takes over and everyone's going, we can't allow this power to be in one person's hands, except that's exactly what happened with Jack. Nothing's different except Elon is now in Jack's place. Why weren't they saying that before? (laughs) Obviously that speaks to something, doesn't it? So it's interesting to pretend, oh yeah, he wasn't involved at all. With former head of legal policy and trust, Vinjay Gotti playing a key role. So there's your scapegoat. Now, I'm not saying that's not the truth. I'm just saying there's clearly the person that's being laid out from this. They just freelanced it, is how one former employee characterized the decision. Hacking was the excuse. But within a few hours, pretty much everyone realized that wasn't going to hold, but no one had the guts to reverse it. So it's a quote coming from something. From one one employee characterized it, I guess. You know, I mean, what? <laughs> same point. I'm not going to keep repeating myself. I get this is just baseless. What is it coming from? What are we? How do we prove these things? Now he says more is coming. Now, if more come, let's just say everything dumps tomorrow and all the documents are there. Maybe it just did while I'm live and I'm not seeing it. it still doesn't change the question about why this would roll out this way instead of dumping the data for everyone to see, which is what they promised. You can see the confusion in the following lengthy exchange, which ends up including Gade Vinjaya and former trust and secure and safety chief Yule Roth. Comms official Trenton Kennedy writes, I'm struggling to understand the policy basis for making this as unsafe. So here, at the very least, is what I see to be the first like internal dialogue, but it's still a screenshot. You know, <laughs> with a typo. But with, with the point being that I guess we have to assume this is accurate and is actually something we can source and prove and so on. But it just, it all rests on Matt Taibbi's credibility. But again, are we really going to quibble about the fact that they would just subjectively argue things are unsafe? They're literally saying that your words are unsafe because they do something that caused somebody to make a certain action. I mean, it, this is abstract. So now they're just going, well, just make the laptop unsafe. Well, that makes perfect sense to me. Again, nothing bombshell for me just yet. But at this point, everyone knew this was effed, said one former employee. But the response was essentially to err on the side of continuing to error. Former VP of Global Comms, Brandon Borman, asked, can we truthfully claim that this is part of the policy? Again, just a random. I mean, that could have been typed out on his computer for all we know. To which former Deputy General Counsel Jim Bakers again seems to advise staying the non-course because caution is warranted. So they're going to argue, well, we don't know. So we shouldn't allow this to share because we don't know. But they didn't say that publicly. They came out and said Russian in disinformation. And that's still sort of the undertone to most of it. A fundamental problem with the tech companies and content moderation. Many people in charge of speech know care little about speech and have to be told basics by outsiders. Now, so this is also something I just don't dislike. Yeah, Matt has a right to insert his opinion because he's the one breaking the story. But Everybody like me is coming to this because we want to break down the actual transparency or the alleged transparency, but it's getting, gets inter, it's intermittent with his personal opinion and his takes on this. And th- this will probably for some people be like, I don't agree with that. I don't know. It just seems like an intentional way to keep people divided along party lines. 
In one humorous exchange on day one, Democrat Congressman Ro Khanna reaches out to Gotti and to gently suggest she hop on the phone to talk about the backlash RE speech. Khanna, uh, Ro Khanna was the only Democrat official I could find in the files who expressed concern. Where are these files, damn it? Why wouldn't you release them? Gotti re- rely- replies quickly, immediately drive- diving into weeds of the Twitter policy, unaware Khanna is more worried about the Bill of Rights, I guess. Con, uh, Ro Khanna tries to... Now, if you guys want to see these, I'm just trying to give you the breakdown of what's being reported. It's just a break, a screenshot of supposed internal dialogue that we can't verify. So he's breaking down the gist of it for you. Khanna, Ro Khanna tries to reroute the conversation of the First Amendment, mention of which is generally hard to find in the files. Number 30, there's only about 36, uh, just we're almost done, just for those that are getting impatient with this, but I wanted to make sure this was on the record. Within a day, head of public policy, Lauren uh, Culberson, receives a ghastly letter report from Carl uh, Sabo of the research firm Net Choice, which had already pulled 12 members of Congress, nine Republicans, three Democrats, from the House Judiciary Committee to Representative Judy Chu's office. Now, jumping over, this is number 33, Weirdly, this goes to, or just read it down to 36 and we'll go to the next tweet. Now it says, net choice lets Twitter know a bloodbath awaits in upcoming Hill hearings, which members saying it's tipping point, complaining tech has grown so big they can't even regulate themselves. So government may need to intervene. That's interesting. Again, assuming this is actually what's happening and that that's a real document that we could eventually source. It's interesting to see that they're going, please, government, come do something about this, essentially. High-level takeaway, every Republican said it's a tipping point, just too much, and both Democrats and Republicans were angry, but nonetheless acting, wanting government intervention. Spazo uh, Sabo reports to Twitter that some Hill figures were characterizing the laptop story as text access Hollywood moment. 36, Twitter files continued, the First Amendment isn't absolute, in a quote. Uh, Zabo's letter contains chilling passages relaying Democrat lawmakers' attitudes. They want more moderation. Like, of all the things we're reading, if this is actually true, finally we get to something that I'm like, wow, that seems pretty damning. If you can show them saying, I, First Amendment isn't everything. Well, yeah, it actually is. You swore an oath to it, but secretly don't care about it, right? That's important. It's not absolute. Yeah, it literally is by its very definition. But what's interesting is that that's, you know, something we can't prove. So let's hope and see we can get some source material. Now, he finishes by saying in this thread, it is an amazing subplot of the Twitter Hunter Biden laptop affair was how much was done without the knowledge of CEO Jack Dorsey. Let's make sure we reiterate that. And look, why do we think we can prove that based on, I guess, limited source material given to you by Elon Musk or potentially and how long it took for the situation to get uneffed, as one employee put it, even after Dorsey jumped in. So now it sounds like Dorsey jumped in to uneff it, but then what happened? Nothing ever really changed, did it? Matt Wall says, Hillary Clinton wanted me to invite you to dinner. <laughs> it's funny. But of course, now here's the other part of it. After the 36 part right here. So this is where it starts again, which there was a tweet deleted. I'm not sure what that was. He deleted one of his tweets. There are multiple instances in the files of Dorsey intervening to question suspicions and other moderate moderation actions for accounts across the political spectrum. Now, it's certainly possible that Dorsey was trying to do right by this, but I don't know. I personally find that kind of hard to believe. Otherwise, you know, why was it so silent about whether he was a problem? Same situation. The problem with the hacked materials ruling, which is one of the reasons they suppressed the laptop story, several sources said was that this normally required an official law enforcement finding of a hack, which it didn't have. But such a finding never appears throughout what one executive describes as a whirlwind 24-hour company-wide mess. 
it's just a cover up. That's what this is, whether it's based on some government hand, which I find it impossible to believe the government wasn't involved with this cover up. But basically, the story seems to be that it wasn't the government, but internal issues are stemming from something we can't prove. But either way, that this was just sort of a that bottom line was this is something that they were trying to suppress. And they used a lie that they knew they couldn't prove to keep it under wraps. I mean, it's pretty obvious that why would individuals do this just because they wanted to support a dem- the Democrat Party? And that would then mean that they knew it was more damning to one side. I mean, there's a lot of ways to look at this, but I'd sure love some of this to be proven. It's been a whirlwind 96 hours for Matt. Apparently, there has been more. There's more to come, including answers to questions that, about issues like shadow, ba- shadow banning, boosting follower counts, the fate of various individual accounts. And OK, well, why wouldn't that all come out now? Why the slow drip of unprovable images? I mean, am I the only one that sees that this is, I mean, this is almost hurting the flow of, I mean, not even almost, it is hurting the flow of information, but it's going to hurt people's willingness to address this. Now, Eat the Rich finishes with, now tell, this is the one of the important parts, now tell us what conditions you had to agree to. And here are the, this is one, on one of the Substack posts that says, he's going to be posting a long thread of information on Twitter. At my account, Matt Taibbi, and this is from his Substack. This material is likely to get a lot of attention. I will absolutely understand if subscribers are angry that it's not appearing on my Substack. I'd be angry too. The last 36 hours have been among the most chaotic of his life, he says, involving multiple trips back and forth across the country with a debate in Canada in between. Here, there's a long story I hope to be able to tell soon, but can't. Not quite yet, anyway. What I can say is that in exchange for the opportunity to cover a unique and explosive story, I had to agree to certain conditions. Now, that doesn't have to be nefarious, but I kind of don't like that, to be quite honest. What were those? Now, one of them, obviously, was to post on Twitter and not his Substack, But that is plural. So why would the whole thing depend on stipulations about how to make this happen? Sure sounds like an agenda to me. Sure sounds like a controlled release of information, doesn't it? I don't feel good about this. What about you? Either way, we should be open to it like everything. Question everything. Be open to the possibilities. Listen to, read it, but don't take it at face value. Why in the world anybody would think just because it's on Twitter, but now Elon's in control, therefore it's free speech Twitter, that we would just blindly follow it because Matt said he saw it. Now, here's Michael Malice making similar points. The fact that Elon Musk handed the receipts that we don't yet get to see to Matt Taibbi instead of a corporate journalist, which you could clearly argue that's what he is, is a massive change in how news is going to be disseminated in this country and for the better. Is it, though? Right now, let's be clear. If this was. Look, let's put it this way. If Elon Musk had reached out to me to do the exact same thing and and let's just for sake of conversation, say I agreed to this style, even though I probably wouldn't have. It's still the same problem. doesn't matter who's behind it, right? So it's not really a change, is it? All it re- the real change is that you are now using a different medium to release the information through a choke point. That's it. How is that any different? You don't have access to the information. You have somebody else telling you they know what it is, and here's what you're supposed to think, even if they have good intentions. That's not a good step. That's a, nut- that's a, that's a step sideways, guys. It's not better. And I think I'm very concerned about where this goes as we have people in the partisan playing field begin to make this out to be everything they promised, even though it's clearly not. Now, Arturo points out, he claims that this is the point I was making before. He claims there's no evidence. 
Did he research it? Did he search for more? Or is he just assuming there's none? None of the other claims had the caveat that I've, that I've seen, right? That's important. And I agree with that. Plausible deniability to claim later that I never claimed there wasn't any evidence at all, just none that I've seen. Just something to think about. It's an interesting point. Now, Elon Musk writes, what really happened with the Hunter Biden story? Suppression by Twitter will be published on Twitter at 5 p.m. 5 p.m. Eastern time. That was on the second, right? Then on the second, he says, we're double checking some facts. So probably start live tweeting in about 40 minutes. I just don't know why that makes much sense to people. Elon Musk is not complete. He's involved in this story. He's not a whistleblower who is no longer part of Twitter. He is running Twitter. Are we really going to pretend that he doesn't have some incentive, whether political or business, to make something happen a certain way? And yet he's involved with checking some facts. Why wouldn't he have just handed it to Matt Taibbi and let him do his job? But apparently Elon was right there involved. That does not sound right to me. Now, Cat Turd points out, good morning. Every single person involved in Twittergate should go to prison. That includes every government official, every person in the Biden regime, and every former Twitter employee. They're all treasonous traitors to our country. Now, it's, that's a pretty strong statement. I don't necessarily disagree, but there is a whole level of legalities and well, what actually happened in there, right? Now, you could argue it's a treasonous sort of like, you know, like treason situation where you're like doing something to challenge the government or hurting our country, however you actually perceive that. But what about the person that just simply suppressed that? I'm saying I agree in sentiment. But are we really talking about treason here when we're talking about something in regard to suppressing things on Twitter? Right. And these are individuals. I'm not trying to downplay it. I just think this is an interesting focus. And obviously there's more behind this than, you know, it all ties back to the laptop, which then ties back to another partisan discussion. Not that it's necessarily false. That, of course, ties back to Biden being influenced by foreign governments and not not any other side. I just find that to be interesting. Twittergate. And yes, it is being slanted towards Biden left even though what he pointed out seems to, one, argue the government didn't get involved, and two, that it's partisan, no, nonpartisan, that both sides were being investing in this, maybe one more than the other. Interesting. Now, just a quick side note. Did you guys know that there was an edit button on Twitter already? I didn't, and I think that's just a recipe for disaster. Even though what's interesting is when you click it, you can actually look at the versions, which is a good step, I would argue, because my first thought was that if you're going to edit, then nope, they could just, edit, you know, you respond and they just change their tweet entirely. And then you look stupid for responding to something that's not even making sense anymore or making you look like you made a bad argument, blah, blah, blah. That can still happen, by the way, because people might just miss that it says edit. So you respond, they change something, update it, and you don't even get to know. Most people probably miss that. That seems like a strange thing to do on kind of a living record as they go, but whatever. Either way, keep your eye out for that. I don't even see how these are different, to be quite honest, but apparently there's an edit button. That's pretty interesting to me, which now how will that be applied and can it be manipulated, right? Are we going to see things change that were once saying something uh, 10 years ago, let's say? Hmm, that's confusing, right? I don't feel like that's going to be honest, but let's wait and see. Now, just to point out something else before we go over to the next part of this, on Facebook side of this, it's also happening, and I don't think this is a partisan, guys. Bernie's tweets points out from New Zealand, this letter confirms the New Zealand government actually has backdoor access to Facebook's takedown portal. So not that they get to petition them, but they literally have access to their portal to take things down of their own accord. That's crazy. Not really crazy. It's, it's, it's exactly what I might have expected, but it's wildly over the top and showing you that they are absolutely involved with this. Meaning the government is able to not only spy, 
but also censor any citizen at any time for any reason. And this is the document you can read for yourself. Yes, the Department of Internal Affairs has access to the takedown portal where they admit it. And just in case you don't want to trust this tweet itself, here's the report itself coming from, uh, this is Yahoo News, but this is, well, they're, they're, they're citing this inter, the intercept, but this is, I forget what, plat- maybe this is just Yahoo News. Usually they, oh, Business Insider right there. Facebook has a special portal for government officials to request yeah, not just request, users can content be throttled or suppressed for vaguely defined disinformation. So at least it's being covered. But when you dig into it, it's not just about requests. They have the ability to actually make action. The bottom line is, this is all of social media. It's not just Twitter, It's but Twitter's obviously the primary focal point for them. But this is everywhere, guys. Your governments are absolutely influencing the flow of information. And let's not pretend like Elon Musk specifically is anything but an insider. So we should be very skeptical skeptical if we're just being set up for another illusion, right? The new Trump situation where, hey, Trump got elected. Everything's good. We already won. Let's all sit back down, right? Elon took over. We're done. We saved it. We're back. Nope. Nope. It's the same thing happening again. Same game being played. Now, yay, just got censored in case you haven't heard that story that's literally circled the, the globe 35 times already. The point I made before we get into the hate speech overlap was it? It's an interesting turn, isn't it? In the Elon saving free speech debate. So Alex Jones isn't allowed back. And it's debatable whether you argue about the law being broken or egregious spam or whatever they're trying to apply to him. You can have your opinions about it. But the bottom line is it's if we're talking free speech, he had every right to make his statements as much as you may think they're deplorable. But if this is about free speech, that's not what this is, obviously. And I'll, I'll prove this to you right now, despite what you are feeling about Ye's comments, which have nothing to do with what he posted on Twitter in the context of, well, the sense that what he says on Alex Jones's show should not have any influence over whether he's censored on this platform. It should be based on his content, which it was. But I'll prove to you what they did use to censor him and why that proves to you that we're even Elon's side of this are towing the line that words, symbols are violence, even though that's ridiculous. And that that is going to be used to justify the fact that what we're saying right now, for example, is actual violence. And therefore, we're domestic terrorists. Now, you may think that's a leap, but all you got to do is read uh, Biden's executive order that absolutely in one paragraph ties it all together. That that is a possible domestic terrorism situation when you are spreading misinformation that puts people's lives at risk. That's exactly what they already framed. This is the beginning of this push into that territory. I argued all the stuff we're talking about today. Now, I said, if you don't defend the right to express the most appalling speech, you don't believe in free speech. That's a simple, undeniable statement. Now, you can argue that you believe in limited speech, but then make that argument and make clear that you don't believe in free speech. You believe in limited speech because these things are crossing lines. Now, look, we could even have a genuine debate about that. I wouldn't even I would even respect your stance if you believe it and stood by that. I disagree wholeheartedly. But see, the problem is they're arguing free speech while absolutely doing the opposite from from an entire discussion point here. But this will surely divide the censorship of Ye will divide the people fighting for free speech. Likely the point, guys, even if those involved don't know it. Divide and conquer. Now, he was censored, which I'll show you next, for an image of the Star of David. Now, there's a lot of just people arguing otherwise. I'll prove to you this is what it was. And this was what was discussed even in corporate media points. This was the catalyst. Now, whether there was something else involved is possible. I'll, I'll show you the whole breakdown. A Star of David with a swastika inside of it. Technically what it was, but I'll show you where it comes from. And this may have even been a pretty savvy move to see if they would take the bait in regard to who posted this. 
you know, I'll show you what I mean. Regardless of your opinions of this post, images and words are not violence, guys. Are we? Do we really need to go back to kindergarten for those paying attention to this who disagree? Images and words are not violence. It's the joke to say sticks and stones might break my bones, but words, I mean, really? Now suddenly it just changes? Now I played that little montage in the beginning of a bunch of different things. Maybe I'll start doing that going forward. One of them was exactly that, where she's saying this, and I'll play that clip in a moment. That words are now actual violence because they just apparently woke up yesterday and decided that. Regardless of your opinions, it's not the case. And just like I've been pointing out, all of the establishment, clearly including Elon, are trying to tell you that they now are. And this guy points out, Twitter is used around the world, not just America, doofus. Other parts of the world, like Europe, have smart laws around hate speech. <laughs> I wasn't actually planning on reading this, but I just here's the point, and there's you missing it completely. Right, so the argument is that they have laws about hate speech, so you don't understand. Then clearly you're not listening to what I'm saying. The point is that hate speech laws are the problem because images and words are not violence. To argue that you dummy, they have laws about it over there. You're not, I don't even know if you read my statement. This is the problem though, is people don't understand. They don't want to hear the reality. Now here is what Ye posted. Uh, this was, uh, the, the date's not, before, just before this happened, right? Let's always remember this is my, as my final tweet. I, this is, I get a joke. And the tweet was, kind of an un, uh, unsavory or uh, whatever the word, unbecoming picture of Elon Musk being sprayed with a hose. And Elon Musk responds, that is fine, which you can still find. It's still up there. You, this one's been deleted, obviously, because the account is gone. He said, that is fine. Okay. Here's the next one. A little bit later, same day, Ye tweeted something. And he said that this is not. Okay. So obviously the first, that that's fine. This is not. And this was the one that got him censored. Okay. Here is what he tweeted. Now you can actually see, I'll show you more of this in regard to even Elon's Twitter. Uh, in, I think this was from Ye or somebody. I think this was Ye back and forth in general. And Elon Musk says, sorry, but you've gone too far. This is not love because he tweeted that image. Where you, as you can see, a star of David with a swastika in the middle. And by the way, there's, I'm not even going to get into the, the historical, which is valid and important, the history around these symbols, specifically the swastika and how it's not necessarily people that there's inverse of it. And there's this, there's one, there's two different ways to it, obviously. And one, uh, they have different meanings and even both of them historically go back to things that are completely not about violence and hate, blah, blah, blah. But that's not, that's important, but not for the point I'm making today, because that's not even what this is. I think this was intentionally used to make a point. Not, and not even the points that Ye is screaming about on InfoWars, right? But here he posted, and he this is the actual tweet. And it, what it said was, love everyone, hashtag love speech. And this image, okay? Elon responded first saying, you know, that, that one is fine, but oh, that one is not. And his argument was when he's engaging with this in conversation that I will not allow people to promote violence. And that was what he was censored under, under the guise that he's promoting violence with this image by, by saying, love everyone, okay? Now, you can argue that you believe that's what his intentions were. But legally speaking, you do not have, you're not doing anything other than posting an image, and that is free speech in the context of social media, but the idea is that it's not violence. It is not. But here's where it gets interesting. And well, just so you can see, his account is still suspended. Last time I checked, some people were saying that there was, and I believe this was possibly where it started, but that it was a 12 hour thing and it was going to come back. But apparently, as I can tell now, it is suspended for sure. And I don't know if that's because he refused to remove it or however that works. Either way, it is currently suspended. 
And here is, by the way, the Wayback Machine. If you want to go back as the most updated version I can find. And it stops before those tweets, so you don't get to see them, unfortunately. But you can kind of go back and look at the last few things where he said, you know, I love First Amendment, love, live, live, long live, yay. I pray to Jesus Elon is for real, <laughs> which, you know, in his mind, apparently he's not now. But here's where it gets interesting. Oh, actually, uh, I had a couple more comments before we get to the next part. I just want to point these out. So this is the same thing. This is not. And he said, please fix it. Oh, here that, I did have it. Okay. So I tried my best. Despite that, he again violated our rule against incitement to violence. Right? And that's when Liberty Lockdown chimes in. How is saying love everyone an incitement to violence? A symbol holds more power than the words themselves. Would a photo from World War II be considered incitement? That's a great point, right? Because the symbols are on images you play, you show everywhere, right? Right now you can accidentally see it in Ukraine all the time. <laughs> and he says, come on, man, free speech or bust. I think we're pretty clear where this, we're at bust at this point, right? Here's somebody else pointing out. And what he says is, you know, Twitter is being fair <laughs> when extremists, is my point I was making before, on far right and far left are simultaneously upset. It's not really what's happening. Twitter aims to sever, ser- serve center 80% of people who wish to learn, laugh, and engage in reasoned debate. So now what he's arguing is that only the extremes are upset and that the majority of people are okay with all of this. But the point is that most of the people I see pushing back on this are not the blue checks or people in the high positions on either side, but just average people on Twitter that are going, you know what? I was hoping you were going to bring this down, actually be transparent and equal. Now, this is Charles Weber. Uh, this is this in its Jewish individual, if that matters to you. And he's basically 10,000 followers saying unpopular opinion. I don't agree with suspending Kanye. I thought we agreed. And this is what Elon agreed and publicly made statements for no illegal speech and no spam. Anything other than that was supposed to be let back, right? Kanye's comments and tweets were nasty, but not illegal and not spam. And oh, by the way, what they're talking about mostly is his appearance on Infowars, but he has tweeted similar things throughout. You can go through his feed. And, I, and look, I'll point out, just so it's clear, my discussions on just the clips that I was playing from Kanye before were just focused on the general concept of free speech. I know he's made arguments that are more nuanced, but I've seen him make very subjective arguments about all Jewish people this or insinuating and such. And I think that that is wrong. I disagree with that, period. You can't broad brush an entire group of people. That's ignorance. But there are other times when, you know, he'll fall and say, love everybody and blah, blah, blah. The point is, it's not all or nothing or one side or the other. There is things down the middle that he's making arguments about, but I personally believe a lot of what he's saying is, is I disagree with. I, I think it's bad just because I think what he's saying is subjective in a lot of cases. And then in some cases, he's pointing out things that I don't agree with, but either way, he has a right to say these things. And that's so unpopular today, which blows my mind. I don't know. He says, I feel like this is a slippery slope. It is because not a slippery slope. It's a it's an open elevator shaft. It's gone. There's nothing. He said, I'm going to do this. And it went the exact opposite direction. And here to the same comment, this person says, and this one is uh, 35,000 followers. He says, but Elon, how was his tweet incitement to violence? That's a great question. He posted love everyone and posted a picture of a blended symbol, which, and here's the important part, guys, is a pre-existing religious symbol. It is. How was that incitement to violence? Will we get an answer on that? I guarantee that won't happen at this point. But guess what, guys? This is the part that I think is most important. The symbol already exists on Twitter right now. And guess what? It's still there. You want to explain that for me, Elon? 
That's pretty inconsistent. I think what we're seeing right now is the fact that this is being driven by one person's subjective opinion in the moment. That's not a process. Here it is. This is live right now on Twitter. That is the exact symbol he just got deleted for sharing. I guess if the, the I'll get into what this is, the Raylion movement had tweeted love everybody with it, well then that would be the censorable offense, right? I mean, I don't even know how you get away from how ridiculous this is. Now, whether they follow up really quickly and censor this account, which they shouldn't, is, is, is up for, I mean, we'll wait and see what happens. But I guarantee he's been, been shown this by now. Everybody's been posted. What about this? It's right there, Elon. What are you doing? <clears throat> this is still there. Let's refresh. Still there. As of right this moment. Hasn't tweeted uh, since 2021, but that's your symbol. Now, what is this, you may ask? Is it a racist uh, organization? Against Jewish people? Well, no. In fact, it's literally quite the opposite. So not only is this symbol currently on Twitter as of right now, and yay was just deleted for apparently posting that image, not apparently, for posting that image, along with love everyone. Not only that, but this has its roots in something that, in fact, is the opposite. In fact, this was originally tried to set up, they tried to set this up inside of Israel and have already changed the symbol. Apparently not on this account but in the context of their overall message because of the misinterpretation of it. So it's not even rooted in the thing they say it is. Shocking, I know. <laughs> like everything else they say. Well, this is, a, this is a, just an article from 2017. We can see the image right here. And what it says is, inside the crazy world of, I believe it's realism, realism like realism maybe, the cult which believes aliens created humans. Now, this is a cult called realism. I'll just say realism so it's not confusing. Not to be confused with realism or the Raelian movement and our regular affairs in India and around the world. That's interesting, right? Well, here it is. Now, this is the interesting part about it because what it says, well, first of all, it's a movement. It's, it's a UFO religion that was founded in 1970s. It's an actual religion, right? So they get all the same, all the trappings that come along with that. Religious protection and so on. The point is that it's a, oh, it thinks down here. Yeah, so it says Rail, Real, Rail, the individual, claims that he is the 40th and final prophet of the, the Elohim, their prop, their, the, the alien prophet. I'm not even trying to get into the, the, the full picture of what this group is, but the point is that's their, 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 who they pray to. Sent because humanity is now sufficiently developed to understand the truth about the Elohim. Now, you can look into this more if you want. The point is next. He initially claimed that he was chosen for this role because he had a Roman Catholic mother and a Jewish father and was thus an ideal link between the two very important peoples in the history of the world. Down here it says, initially he sought permission to build an Israel, explaining that this by reference to how the ancient Israelites were once in contact with, his, with their prophet. Right? So in fact, it's quite the exact opposite of what they're saying the symbol is. He has also stated that the embassy would constitute the third temple referred to in Jewish prophecy. So it's like the exact opposite. It's over that it's leaning into the group. They're saying this is supposed to be an insult to. Now it says the symbol initially used to signify realism was a six pointed star with a swastika in the center. Now real stated that this was the symbol he originally saw on the whole of Elohim's spaceship, not just the swastika, but the whole thing. And that's why he used it. 
the, the, the realism used use of the swastika, a symbol that had been prominently used by Germany's Nazi party during the 30s and 40s, resulted in accusations. In 1992, the realist movement, realist movement altered their symbol, replacing the center of the swastika with this swirling shape. Just to avoid the misconceptions, right? Okay, so that's where we are now. Except the, but you can still see that they, you see them kind of, you can see it, it says here, the, the current version, and then you can see the old version right there on a little pendulum, or a little pen, uh, pen, pendant. So the point is that they changed it, right? But you can still see it on their symbols and stuff, and again, on their actual account that's currently live on Twitter right now. I just don't know how you get away from that stupidity. And acting like it's justified. Now, whether that was all part of a game, whether this was a post by Ye to prove this point, I don't know. Either way, it's clear that he was censored based on something that's currently out there, so that makes no sense whatsoever. But all of it, guys, all of it is leading to the the idea that your symbols and your words are violence if they decide so. I don't know whether he's aware that he's towing that line or not, but that's very concerning to me. Now, here's what President Biden stepped in, because, of course, this is totally not a large agenda, right? Says, I just want to make a few things clear. The Holocaust happened. Hitler was a demonic figure. And instead of giving it a platform, our political leaders should be calling out and rejecting anti-Semitism wherever it hides. Silence is complicity. Of course, the idea of the anti-Semitism is the primary thing they've been pushing about hate speech, where it all ties to, long before we ever got to this point. And it weirdly got put aside around the concept of, you know, medical misinformation. And yet the very people as the unvaccinated group were the ones being treated like the pariahs of society. Even Holocaust survivors themselves saying this is worse than what people in my position went through. That's not my statement. That's what they said. Of course, that's not even discussed. But now it's kind of flip-flop back and we're going a new direction. Now it's all hate speech again and violence, whatever category it comes from. And now we're back to pretending that it's all about anti-Semitism. And which, by the way, don't forget, as Whitney and I've talked about, and I'll point this out in a second, in 2020, we had the election special discussion with people like Elizabeth Newman coming up and saying, well, we see this building, we don't know how to stop it. And what were they talking about? Anti-Semitism. I guess it just took a pause during COVID-19. I guess so. But it says silence is complicity. Aha, right. So now it's violence if you say the wrong thing. And if you don't say anything, you're complicit for not attacking that violence. It seems like they can just make whatever they want out of anything, right? Everything means nothing. Nothing means everything. Either way, what they're saying is you need to stand up and say, I don't agree with these things, which you're allowed to say. And really, that's where it should end, because that's free speech. The problem is they're silencing the other people. So silence is complicity, but then silence is demanded by the government. But Gareth Ike chimes in as he's going, these people are not allowed to be anti-Semitic and then while funding and arming actual Nazis. Gareth Ike points this out. Think about the stupidity of that. Boy, they're literally even been forced to admit that in part by the corporate media arming neo-fascists, fascists, neo-Nazis, Nazis on the ground in Ukraine right now. And yet, <laughs> we're going to stand up and say, I mean, just think about the stupidity of this position. While you're fighting a war against Nazis and white supremacy while funding the largest entity in the, on the planet of exactly that. I mean, you just can't get much more stupid than that. Meanwhile... Here's Zelensky, who just, this was just recently announced, and here's the the actual post about it. Ukraine to prepare a law banning churches affiliated with Russia, of course. So, you know, mostly Russian Christianity and Orthodox Christians right before Christmas. Almost like Israel does when they attack specifically Christian people, right, right, like during Christmas. No big deal, though, right? Zelensky actually announced a ban on the activities of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. So it's not just Russians, by the way. You're essentially banning Orthodox Christianity 
But this is okay, though, right? So while we're talking about neo-Nazis and fascism, let's ignore the fact that you're funding the most obvious example of this that seems to be in many ways directly attacking what we say we're defending. But no big deal, though. Quote, it is necessary to create such conditions in which any figures dependent on the aggressor country will not be able to manipulate Ukrainians and weaken Ukraine from within. So we're going to attack your religion. And, you know, all the other people there that no longer have their church, they're just caught up in the midst of it. And it's not our fault, though. Doesn't anybody care about the collateral damage? Well, not, of course, when the good guys are doing it, right? In quotes. But we'll get to more on the absurd reality of the Ukraine situation in another show. But as Wyatt points out, main takeaway from the Kanye interview? Well, if you want to say I like Hitler on a live broadcast, just don't forget your Azov badge. And then you'll get canceled instead of getting invited to Congress. Or, or you'll get invited, right? Think about how ridiculously obvious that is. Right. So we see people with swastikas and people literally openly saying they like Hitler or saluting Bandera. And it's, oh, you don't understand. You just you don't understand. And then he says this with all sorts of caveats and tries to make it about everybody. And I love it. And that's the problem. As his point says, just wear your Azov battalion badge. Or you'll get canceled instead of getting invited to Congress. And as I said, Wyatt with the best take of the day. And if you think this is about Kanye, you're not listening. And then, of course, since we are going to say the best take of the day, let's take a look at what the worst take of the day was. Here's Ben Shapiro. Ye is clearly suffering from a mental breakdown. It's an act of cruelty to have him on the air at this point. He needs treatment, not a spotlight. Now, you may argue that he's suffering from something or being manipulated or part of an agenda. But from this guy, my point was just let's take a quick dance over to what his hot take was on COVID-19 injections a couple years ago. The vaccine is 95% effective in preventing you from getting the virus and also mitigates the severity of the disease. 99% of those who actually get COVID will survive, which translates now to we didn't, we were tricked. They didn't tell us. Great cover, great sidestep, Ben. They didn't let us know, apparently. They didn't let us know. Yeah, or uh, otherwise, you could argue that means you didn't do your research. But, you know, whatever. Let's let that go. But if you're going to pretend that this is the epitome or this is what this kind of work looks like from this journalist, then maybe we should question other research that's based on corporate media arguments, right? The point is, Elijah Schaefer said, your immune system has a higher success rate at combating COVID than the actual vaccine, which is true. In other words, get the vaccine, dopes. Yeah, that aged real well. Good job, Ben. Way to do your due diligence, man. We were looking at the source material. That's how we actually knew. We weren't tricked. So when you say you're tricked, that means you were buying what you were sold. That's great journalism. Bottom line is, maybe we should think twice before we take the hot takes from people like this. But let's talk about the violence part of this, right? The idea that your words are violence. This is where this is going. In fact, this is where it already is. We're already seeing this everywhere you look right now. And by the way, you guys know this is not new. The hate speech argument's been building for a long time. But let's not, we we saw that it kind of got pinned for a minute. During all this, now there, you still saw the narratives float around, but we were obviously focused on vaccine misinformation the whole time. Now it's kind of a catch-all for all of it. Not surprising. Well, let's start with this, this article from The Telegraph. Britain is sleepwalking into censorship, and we're running out of time to stop it. Well, maybe this is a, a, a genuine take from somebody inside this platform. I just I find it really hard to believe anything's genuine from the corp media these days, but it's certainly possible. But here's the main point to this. The revised online safety bill, you know, the thing we've already talked about that's being used to just do whatever they want, essentially, still incentivizes big tech to turn its algorithms against legal speech from the Telegraph. 
And this is where we are. Not not from the violence part of it just yet, but they've already created the world where they can just set the bar and be like, well, we know what you really mean, wink, wink, when you say X, Y, and Z, even though that's not breaking the law or against our terms of service, we're going to lower that bar for your case and say, we know what you actually meant. So they're going to turn their algorithms against legal speech. And they're going to argue it's because we have to, because this bill will we'll have to pay. We'll get in trouble for it, right? So when they argue this will create less censorship, it's not. They knew this would happen, just like the meme bill and all the different things they've done. They create a situation where these people will overtly censor because if they don't, they're going to be accountable for the problem. And that was a, per- that was a, it was easy to see where that was going. The bottom line is legal speech, right? So now it becomes where we go, oh, well, Israel's government is murdering people over there and you can prove it. Or that the Ukrainian Nazis are doing that. I mean, try, you, know, you could say things that you agree with, things that you can prove, or things that you personally believe. You're allowed to say that all of them are free speech. The point, though, is none of them are illegal and they don't actually violate terms of service, but they're just going to make that the case. The next part of it, though, is that they can argue those things are doing X, Y, and Z. Right. Not just that we can delete you, but now you keep saying them on other platforms or you keep putting out flyers about it or whatever. And those things are translating to people not getting injections, which means they're killing themselves, which means they're killing other people, killing grandma or that it translates to whatever fill in the blank, not reducing your carbon footprint. Therefore, you're killing the planet. Now, it may seem ridiculous to you and it should, but this has already been connected. And now they are saying that your words are violence. Now, it's not hard to see what the next step is. If they're saying your words are violence, and they're saying that violence is is leading to death, and Biden has an executive order saying this is domestic terrorism, well, the moment they want to patch this together, it's right there in front of them. Well, you're arrested then. You just killed somebody. Wait a minute, I didn't kill anybody. Well, yeah, but your words are violence, and that violence just hurt somebody over there. You're, You're going to jail. That's actually what's happening in the world right now in places like Germany, where people are being arrested for hate speech, arrested for hate speech, or jokes online, people being arrested under anti-terrorism laws. Now, here is the point, though, how this connects to Ye. Don't forget that if Elon's censoring him under the guise that this symbol we saw was incitement to violence, despite the fact that it's currently on Twitter still right now, and they're not censored, and that it was a symbol that has nothing to do with hate in the context of how they made it, and that he said, love everyone. It doesn't matter what you think about it. That's not violence in the most obvious way. And yet they censored him under that guise. So now we've just solidified very clearly, even in the partisan conversation, that that, at least as we perceive it, is censorable based on actual violence. And we just talked about this. Drugged and hospitalized for misinformation. That is happening. People are being arrested, being hospitalized, being forcefully injected with whatever they decide because you're a danger to yourself. People being arrested for hate speech. And I called it the MAGA COVID trap because this is all coming together. Hate speech, medical misinformation, it's all leading to the idea that you're committing violence by not doing what you're told. And this was the one, a couple of things I showed you just the other day. This one was New York City is now going to start to involuntarily hospitalizing mentally ill Patients. Now, they say homeless people, and that is how they're presenting it. But I challenge you to look through the documentation. And when you realize that it just simply points out that people who are mentally ill and a threat to themselves were allowed to involuntarily hospitalize. It's like, that's weird. Where's the homeless part of it? So I believe this is simply framing about homeless people, and that's where it's starting. And then all of a sudden it shifts to, oh, well, look at all these anti-vaxxers. Look at these anti-climate change people. They're literally in danger to me and themselves. 
And here we go. Right? It's it's not hard to see where this goes. Here is uh what's her name? Uh I'm blanking on. Oh, it's uh, Sheila Jackson. You you saw this on AM Wake Up. That's where I first saw it, where she is literally telling you that your words are violence today because of some arbitrary shift that happened, apparently, where she just decided and nobody gets to know where and how or why that makes sense. Just say this, uh, Reverend Sharpton. It is uh, very well documented that words nowadays can actually uh, break your bones. Words have generated violence. We've seen that. Great. So now words can break your bones, despite the fact that's plainly not true. Right. Like, so apparently, are we going to pretend that actual words are breaking your bones? Well, no, there's it's an it's a it's saying the words could translate to that. Now, how in the world you could prove or define that is exactly the point. And they don't need to. All they're going to do is make that argument and act like everybody agrees. Like we all want to blockade Cuba, right? We all agree. Well, no, they really don't. The world doesn't. But they'll say it. They'll sure as hell argue everyone agrees. And they will take action if they choose or they think it's important. Even though that's ridiculous. Some kind of shift in everything is now we're now we're seeing it. Now we are. Well, what we're seeing is they're clear, like they are frothing at the mouth to go this direction. I just showed you this too. This was the this is a, a guy in Louisiana was arrested under anti-terrorism laws for comparing the pandemic to a zombie apocalypse on Facebook. We just saw Facebook is happily facilitating this. I argue so too is Twitter right now. But the point was an anti-terrorism law. And then when it got dismissed because it was plainly ridiculous, did they get held accountable? No. In fact, they gave the sheriff and the detective granted qualified immunity. I mean, how do you explain that? Something weird is going on. Maybe they jumped the gun. Now, don't forget as well, Dr. Thomas Bender, which apparently I just saw Amazing Polly shared a clip without giving credit to the last American Vagabond. Why is this such a problem today? This, this interview has gone viral. And people love to share the clips without crediting where it comes from. I guess people are afraid to point to T-Lab. I don't know why. Either way, recognize where this is. And if you see it being shared, Taylor deserves the credit for her outstanding work. So make sure you make people understand where this came from. But the Rumble video itself has like two, 300,000 views at this point. This has gone around the world, mostly because of the clips people are, are sharing. That eventually, people find back who care enough to find out where it came from. But Dr. Thomas Binder was put in a psych ward because of his COVID-19 claims, which have turned out to be correct. This was on, this is already on the table. This was 2022 in September. Now, here's Elon Musk as of yesterday reiterating the point that I made before. Twitter 2.0, the everything app, is, all, is ch championing the idea of suppressing hate speech. Hate speech impressions continue to decline. Well, you know why? Because they're suppressing them. He's been clear about that. Freedom of speech doesn't mean freedom of reach. Negativity should and will get less reach than positivity. Now, how subjective is that? Why does anybody pretend that aligns with free speech? Because partisanship because it's advantageous to what i want people to think i'm fine this is child if you're going to pretend this free speech then you're a liar point blank Check. tell me i'm prove that i'm wrong this is not free speech because it's subjective and based on personal opinion you can't quantify or you can't there's no metric to prove what is the where's the definable line for negative and positive what if it's a joke what if you're allowed to say these things because it's free speech but it doesn't matter. If we're still suppressing hate speech, how is this different than before? If people like Alex and whoever else and Ye are still gone, how is it different than before? Well, because it's slanted one more, a little bit more to the right, and so now we're pretending it's okay on one side. 
And the other side's acting like it's burning down in a Nazi flame. I mean, it's ridiculous. These partisan, these sides are childish, but people are seeing it. But this person says, sorry, but the press says differently, which is how this game is played, which is exactly what I was just hyping. So here he is going, we're suppressing hate speech more than ever. More than ever. Don't you guys see it? I'm doing what you want, if that's what's happening. But then they go, nope, you're not. The New York Times is saying, hate speech has jumped now. So now they're disagreeing with each other. Here's the actual post. Or excuse me, this was just the tweet about it, but I find this to be funny. This, this cracked me up. Let's see if you can catch why. So, so New York Times writes an article saying, hate speech is overwhelmingly everywhere on Twitter now, <laughs> which it's not. I mean, it's so stupid to pretend like it's even any different than what we saw before. It's the same damn stuff. It says, Musk set, sent up the bat signal to every kind of racist, misogynist, and homophobe that Twitter was open for business. Right. <laughs> okay, so he let back on a few people. Most of the people censored have not come back, as far as I can tell. And yet, just like when Elon took over, all the right was like, everything changed for the better. Well, the moment he officially took over, the left said, everything fell apart. <laughs> no, it didn't. We're right in the middle, just like before. I'm so tired of the childish, juvenile, partisan games. The point is, they want you to think it's terrible everywhere. Here's what Alex Cannon said. These findings, well, here's the, here's the actual, um, I don't know why it's doing that. There we go. New York Times, hate speech's rise on Twitter is unprecedented, researchers find. And this says, these findings? What findings? Where's the data? How are researchers getting counts of slurs? Using bots to scrape Twitter? Is a slur a specific word in a strict dictionary? Don't bother with questions. The ADL told you so. And I agree with all of that. Do you get why I'm laughing? This guy's, where's the data? We can't just take his face value. Why are we going to believe there's hate speech on there? This is just the New York Times and the writer telling us that's what's happening. Hmm. Maybe we should reflect on that a bit and ask ourselves why this one's any different. Okay. So when New York Times comes out and says, this is what's happening. And they go, well, there's no data. I'm not going to trust that. And this comes out and they go, we knew it. We knew it. We knew this is what was happening. See my point, guys? If we can't see that by now, then we don't want to. We should always be saying, where's the data? We should say that to this side and say, Matt Taibbi, where is the source material? And until you do, I'm going to pretend it's not real. Or at the very least, I'm going to consider that it could be not real. That's just completely hypocritical. Now, I'm not saying Alex is on the other side saying, this is true, but we do see that happening, right? And people are going to choose that this is not, I mean, personally, I completely agree with this because the ADL is ridiculously subjective about what they deem to be anti-Semitic. It could be trans tangentially, it could be completely side story to this, where somebody they say was connected to a white supremacy group that was involved in something, and they just go, ah, that's anti-Semitism. Because, you know, white supremacy is also the same. That's not the reality. And in many cases, things aren't white supremacists. They say they are. Or the, the idea that we can say that's a Zionist action. They go, oh, anti-Semitism. And they write that down. So it's ridiculous. Either way, we should want data on all sides. So Elon says it's going down. They say it's going up. I personally have the mind that it is probably going down because Elon is saying he's personally, or rather they're directing him personally to suppress that content. Interesting. I just think that's very, very obvious. Now, just to reiterate it, guys, don't forget the, the overlap that I saw personally during this process where I initiated my appeal process because we thought this was happening. And instead of being denied for the third or fourth time under the same claim of medical misinformation, it suddenly shifted to hateful conduct or promoting violence. 
well, that's pretty interesting. Right about the time when everything shifts into where your hate speech is violence. Is that interesting? And also because, well, if you're hateful conduct or you're violently acting, well, that's one of the reasons they won't let you back on. So here's an easy excuse to go, oh, well, T-Lab is violent and he won't let back. Okay. Now, just to be clear, I don't know what will happen tomorrow. And I'm not saying that this is the most important thing. I'm just pointing the reality out. For those that say, like somebody commented on, uh, that's funny. <laughs> Let's check this out. That's funny. Doesn't exist. Let's, I just saw the follow button right there. But people are saying, like, I, oh, I was on e- Alice Amaro's show and somebody commented going, you know, here's what he's done so far. This and that and this and that. And it's like, okay, all these things that he says he's done that we're just going to assume. There you right off, right off the bat, already assuming that he says is true. But then going, which one should he have not done so you can have your account back? <laughs> I just laughed. Like, okay, that's what I'm saying, right? Because I'm the most important thing. It's just partisan lashing out because you don't like what is being pointed out. All I'm pointing out is what's the reality. If you, how do you disagree with easily provable state? This is the truth. This is what's happening. Take it for what you want. It's not the only thing happening. But the interesting part is I was denied, despite being censored specifically for medical misinformation that has been proven to be true. And they apparently have no longer even have that policy now. But it's easy to keep me censored because they just go, oh, it's violent. Apparently, the account that I'm no longer using and somehow initiated a new thing. Anyway, the point is, of all people, who somebody who advocates nonviolence on a near daily basis, I'm now apparently promoting violence with my show. But it's an easy way to keep this from changing. And we talked. With, I talked with Whitney yesterday, which is, I believe, out for subscribers only. But I think tomorrow or the next day she'll be uploading it for everybody. A really, a really important conversation. Now, we focused kind of on the Kanye West thing again, but it was the broader conversation of what this really ties back to. And as always, Whitney's got a very incredible additional points and things that her research that we kind of patched together. It was really important. And it says, and how it's being used to further troubling censorship and domestic terror agendas. And I completely agree with this. And so it was a really important conversation. Now, one of the things we pointed at is exactly what happened the next day. DHS warns of heightened threats ahead of the holidays. And guess what it's about? The Department of Homeland Security is warning of rising threats in the coming months, which they always seem to. A report from DHS referred to a heightened threat environment with the risk of domestic terror attacks committed by lone wolf actors or groups motivated by personal grievances and violent ideologies. And just it's, it's so ridiculous what they write out here. First of all, is it certainly can, could there be? Of course, there could be somebody that could do something like this. But the timing of it all related to exactly this and the yay interview and Twitter and where all this goes, this is about the same topic. And now they're going to argue that this is because of that. Now, I was one thing I said in Whitney's discussion was that's what I see coming next, which scares me. Now, right now is the perfect opportunity for a psyop to say or just taking advantage of some violent act, which they, they happen all the time around the world, all the time around the country. They could just choose to pluck one out of obscurity and say it's what they want it to be. The point would be, this is the proof of how violence or words do immediately translate to violence, right? I did this because of what Ye said. There you go. Over. Suddenly, we're all being censored and actually being charged with violence or whatever the term would be, you know, committing the, breaking the law because we are saying things they deem to translate to violence, whatever that amounts to. That's what I'm worried about. I see that. I see that. I hope it doesn't happen because it's a dangerous step. But it reports uh, refer to the heightened threat. It says potential targets include public gatherings. There you go. So don't go out. Right. Don't go around all the anti-vaxxers, religious institutions, government facilities, schools, 
and LGBTQ communities. So just everything under the sun. All the different things we questioned. Also warned of possible attacks against them. Well, here's what's funny. Why wouldn't they just list it all in one sentence? <laughs> it's such a choice to do that. They said the potential targets are X, Y, and Z. They also said these three things. What a weird way to say that, right? Wouldn't you just say, here's all the things they listed off? <laughs> the point was they want to accentuate these things. They also warned of possible attacks against the media. Okay, because they're a protected class, don't forget. Critical infrastructure, whatever they, they can, they can mean, whatever they want it to mean, and perceived ideological opponents. And they get even more specific. Check this out. Quote, perceptions of government overreach, just perceptions, because we know it's not happening, continue to drive individuals to attempt to commit violence, targeting government officials and law enforcement officers. They are desperate to drive that into reality. That's what they pretended was January 6th. That's what they pretend is anything they're pointing at. They are desperate to drive you guys into taking the bait. Some, they say, domestic violent extremists have expressed grievances based on perceptions that the government is overstepping its constitutional authorities. I mean, that's not even, that's verifiably what's happening. They just have a reason why they do it. Or, they say, failing to perform its duties. Okay, like, what's funny about it is now what they're going to argue is if you even point those things out, you're now a potential terrorist. Because those things lead to violence. You see the subjective connection? The same point they're making. Now, could that be? Of course. Somebody could genuinely decide to take a violent act because they believe this is happening and the government has lost control. Now, you, we can all understand why they see that. The violence is never the way to go because they want this from you. They want this from all of us. They are desperate to paint this picture. Don't take the bait. Violence is not the way to go. For failing to perform its duties, which, I mean, if we pretend we agree on what those duties are, it's obvious they're not doing so, but they have a completely different picture in their minds. But check this last point out. They also highlighted the recent attack on Nancy Pelosi's husband. Well, there you go. This is what it's about. The fact that government's not doing what they're supposed to. Or rather, we think that because we're anti-vaxxer conspiracy theorists. Which, by the way, in other documentation, is already outlined as dangerous and we should medicate them. It's everywhere right now. Everywhere. So this is how this is working. This, I promise you, is going to lead to the actions or the opening of a discussion around taking action around people who are simply saying what they believe, even if they may be wrong. But most importantly, stuff that we can prove is right. Now here is why I'm so concerned about who this is really is and where this is going, whether he knows this or not. Here is Bloomberg breaking. Elon Musk's Neuralink aims to start putting in coin-sized brain implants into human patients within six months. Six, six months. Wow, right. So it's fake news to talk about chip implants, apparently, right? In 2021, you talk about chip implants and you're a conspiracy theorist. Now it's six months away, right? So as usual, six months, six months is the difference, right? But here's Wake the Sleepwalkers points out something that I keep talking about. Now, I'm not going to I'm not going to say that I, that I know for sure that these Neuralink implants might not necessitate some kind of coin sized device to make it work with all the different things they do. But let's remember, as she points out, there's been smart dust size, which is far. Actually, I was actually corrected by this based on somebody who knows even deeper than the symposium I actually reference usually where I say like the tenth the size of a grain of salt, which is which is what the symposium presented. But I believe it was uh, Dane Wigington points out that it's way, way, way smaller than that. The point is they've had smart dust a decade ago, even further. 
that could literally run on your body weights or your body's own motion, run on all sorts of other things that could be that land on your skin and be. And this is not my opinion. People can hear this and act like it's conspiracy theory. These are open symposiums about the direction of nanotechnology that were held in 2011 very clearly highlighting that that was the current state. My point is, why in the world we pretend that it's a coin-sized anything at this point would be the my point. But who knows? I'm saying I don't know what the... Once this comes out, we'll flush it out more. But this is where it's going. And as I pointed out, <laughs> Elon Musk's brain chips implanted in humans in six months. And I made that same joke. This is fine. Right? No big deal. <laughs> like, it's all good. Right? It's all good. Microchips, mic- and vaccines, we're going to burn everything down. Oh, but he, Elon Musk is going to give them to us. And, oh, it's, it's good stuff. Right? Seems pretty ridiculous. Well, as somebody points out, and this has been done up uh, like 15 different ways, just to reiterate it yet again, when they point the global freedom movement points out, when somebody tells you who they are, believe them the first time is the actual quote. And the point is, you can see these overlaps. World Economic Forum, why carbon tax is crucial curbing climate change. Elon Musk, it's high time there was a carbon tax, right? And I've, I've gone through all these. These are real tweets. Four reasons that you, could, you should use universal basic income. He goes, I'm in favor of universal. It's every single talking point, guys. Just need to start listening. Whether Again, I don't know whether he's aware of that or whether that even translates to what we think it does. But those things are right there in front of you. So at the very least, we should be skeptical. And again, Buying Twitter was, as he points out, was the accelerant to creating X, the everything app, right? That is what this is about, as well as the data, which he already openly said, using your data. Well, here he is again. I couldn't find this the other day, but this is the this is him discussing the WeChat overlap and how he wants this to be happening. Oh, look, there's the edit button point. But here's what he says. I've been working on an edit button for a year. Well, it's a hard, it's a tricky situation. And it's incredibly complex. <laughs> <laughs> yes, good one, indeed. I mean, we don't even have uh, a, 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 an app that's as good as WeChat in China. Uh, and like in China, you can like live on WeChat, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like, yeah, everyone, everyone's like, they're like, you live on WeChat, you do payments, you do everything. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's great. Basically, WeChat's kick ass. Um, and we don't have anything like WeChat outside of China. So I was like, my idea would be like, how about if we just copy WeChat? Hey. <laughs> copy them. <laughs> copies WeChat. Yeah, pretty Pop. much. <laughs> yes. They have been. There you go. And even though, even though people pretend like that wasn't really what he said, right? It's obvious. Now, people have been pushing back even on the argument that WeChat is exactly what we know it is. But I, I I'm not the one there, and I, there's people that would tell me that it's not always that. So that's the one caveat that maybe you don't, maybe they're, that they're arguing, which I can't prove, is that you don't necessarily need a digital ID to use this. But here's what somebody else has to say. So factor this in for yourself. Oh, first of all, here's Forbes. There's no WeChat equivalent out of out of China equivalent out of China. He says in a meeting, there's a real opportunity to create that. Just so we're clear that this is very obviously what's happening. Here's James Melville pointing out. Here's a personal account. So take it with a grain of salt, his his opinion, of how digital ID, central bank digital currencies, social credit systems operate in China. This is from November. Central banks and governments are nudging us towards this. We cannot let this happen. Wake up before it's too late. Here's what he has to say about what he's dealing with with WeChat. If you go to China, uh, they're piloting it uh, a few years ago in Shenzhen. So I lived overseas. If you go to Shenzhen... Back in 2017, they already had facial recognition cameras there. So if you jaywalked in Shenzhen, they would immediately detect that and send you a notification. And they would deduct money from your, what they call WeChat account. They, they use two main apps, WeChat and Alipay. So you can actually deduct your money directly from your account. 
This is four years ago. So this is not like some sort of conspiracy theory. It's not something that's going to happen 10 years into the future. This happened pre-corona in China. And so this system in China that exists, it's extremely advanced. They can detect if it's a man or a woman. They can detect, they can guess your age. They can detect what kind of car model it is, who the manufacturer is. This is a sort of technology that we see in all these dystopian sort of films and whatever. And people keep putting it off and thinking that this is something that's going to happen later in my kid's lifetime or my grandkids. It's already here. And if this gets implemented anywhere, especially in a Western nation, it's not going away. Israel is already talking about the fourth shot. Then they're going to be going to herpes and they're going to ask if you're gay. They're going to be asking if you ate three pizzas this week because it's unhealthy. If you buy certain books in certain countries, your country doesn't like you. You'll lose points in the social credit score system. So this is already the reality of the world in certain places. And we need to be aware of that if we don't want that or if we do. And to be perfectly honest, anybody who wants his vaccine passport, it's a misnomer. It's total control. Everything you do or don't do will be calculated. Now. Obviously, there's some of his opinion in there, but the bottom line is simply that this is what he is ex- what he's experienced personally, right? So take it for what you will. Either way, why would we want that central choke point of control, which we're, which we're, you would need a digital ID of some sort, whether officially digital ID statement or not? You would need your digital presence to be able to use that, which impl- which includes all the things we're talking about. And I'm very concerned about that. Now here, I've played this before, I believe, but it's a, it's a clip from the Swedish company, but where they're openly talking, and again, of course, using the gigantic chip instead of what really you would need to make this happen today, which would be tiny and imperceptible to the human eye, which I've proven many times over. A, an, a company already overlapping your implants with your COVID-19 passport data, which again, in and of itself, was supposed to be a conspiracy theory before. <laughs> A Swedish company specialized in microchip implants promotes the use of their device to carry the COVID pass, saying that the chip makes the data more accessible even if a person doesn't have their phone with them. The chip implant is placed in the arm and programmed so that when the chip is read by a smartphone, it opens up a PDF file which contains a person's COVID passport. This makes it easier for different entities to check the health status of the individual. Chip implants are cool because they speak NFC, near field communication. And we know that the world of connected devices, the Internet of Things, as a lot of people call it, um, speaks the language of NFC. I mean, that's what you do with door readers, with smartphones, with payment terminals. They are all NFC enabled. So when I have a chip in my hand, it allows me to speak the language of all these devices and interact with them effortlessly. The chip implant costs 100 euros and is part of the rising trend of the health wearables. However, the company claims that their chip implants are more durable and can be used for 20 years or more. The implants don't have batteries and they cannot transmit a signal by themselves. In other words, they're passive and they don't give away any data. The smartphone activated implants may have other applications in the future, but for now, they act as an easily scannable personal data storage. It's very obvious where this is going, guys. I mean, it's, it's, it's not hard to miss. Where was I here? Okay, jumping way ahead, trying to get these things lined up. Here we go. So, the point is that this overlap is undeniable. I mean, there really is no denying the overlap. It's so obvious, and yet it's even more obvious when they act like it's fake news or outlandish to even connect the two things while they're literally rolling it out in front of you. 
That's how silly this is. Now here is Jordan Peterson commenting on the social credit system. You can't imagine how screwed you are. For somebody like him, that's a that's an alarming statement. Do you think what we did during COVID could usher in our version of a social credit system? Oh yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah, that's and that high, would, highly probable. And that it will be accepted by many people because, again, that they won't even yearning notice. for safety. That they won't notice even. Yeah, yeah. You, you can't believe how much people don't know these things. When I went to the UK, I talked to some people from the House of Lords. This is within the last six months. The most astute of the people sitting in the House of Lords had only become aware of the woke movement in the last 18 months. Oh, yes. You just can't believe how much this is not on people's radar. Not Someone like you can't believe that at all because it's on your radar all the time. That's not You live in a world that's on the cutting edge of this sort of thing. It's like people have no idea. It's like, well, why not have a digital passport? I mean, you know, how convenient. It's like, fair enough, and you can understand that. Wouldn't it be nice if we could pay for everything with our phones? It's like, wouldn't it be nice if the central government who's woke-oriented and makes carbon dioxide remediation the priority knows exactly what you spend on everything so they can target you tax-wise with precision? It's like, oh, didn't think about that. It's like, yeah, yeah, you sure didn't. And Oh, yes, it's highly probable it'll be a miracle if we, if we escape from that. You can see these signs of this everywhere. You know, when you go through airports now, there's a lot of automated barriers. You show your passports. Like, well, these are automated barriers. What if you can't go through them? Well, that's the situation for many people in China. It's like, what are you going to do? You're going to argue with the machine? Like, you just cannot imagine how screwed you are. There isn't, it's way worse than anything Kafka ever imagined. Because at least with Kafka, there was bureaucrats faceless though they may have been they were at least still human once the machines can lock you out you are in such trouble and we're speeding towards that with uh with an immense lack of of care Mm. i agree and that's the hard part about this guys is that it's just very transparent and the people, we are sprinting in the direction of something at, at best that they don't fully understand. At worst, that they're well aware of and is aware that it will hurt people and just don't care. Now, one of the things I wanted to go over really quickly, and we'll see, I, I might take very long on this. I inserted this, I, I, this was uh, today, December 3rd, and somebody showed this to me right before I went live, and I wanted to just at least go over this. I think it's very interesting. Scientist who worked at Wuhan lab says COVID was man-made virus, December 3rd. Now, I'm very skeptical about this entire conversation, especially from, from the main point of whether this is even actually there. And that would, of course, are, if we're going to start from the premise that this is something that was real, therefore, you know, it's, uh, we should be skeptical about that because it's very possible this is absolutely an illusion. Not, you, not, you don't even have to wade into the virus versus not idea for this to be an illusion. As Danny Rancourt points out, that it's very clear, statistically speaking, if you wanted to do this using the flu, pneumonia conflation, the PIC discussion, or talking about false PCR tests and warping in all sorts of vaccine side effects and things they cause and mass side effects into being whatever they want it to be, it's so clear that you could make this into whatever you want. Just some, I'm not saying we know that. But if you can't consider that as a possibility, you're choosing to blind yourself to things that are possible. But this is interesting. As it says, a scientist who worked for at a controversial research lab has claimed that COVID was a man-made virus that leaked from the facility. But here's the interesting part. Andrew Huff, an American, 
who worked for a New York-based nonprofit that studied viruses, said COVID leaked from the Wuhan Institute of Virology in China two plus years ago and then and blamed authorities for the biggest U.S. intelligence failure since 9-11. So this does seem to put it on the time frame of what we're talking about, right? But what about all of the evidence we've proven Again, from within the concept of this discussion, right? So if we're going to trust their science in the concept of what we're talking about here, which I don't argue we ever do, realize that from the other side of this, we've got Spain and China, actually. Well, actually, that's a different conversation. But in the case of what we're talking about, Spain, Italy, Taiwan, Canada, uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting some of them, that have all showed that they have evidence of this being present before it was found in China. You don't just ignore all of that. How do you just you don't just kick it to the side because this guy said this? Like, how do we factor all that in? How does that even make sense? You could argue that was that it, this is true. It was tested on people or something else, but it just doesn't add up to me. But it says the lab has been at the center of these debates, and it says the, he he's an epidemiologist, of course, in his new book, <laughs> the truth about Wuhan. That's just, you know, something to consider about why the book's written and then it comes out, right? That the pandemic was the result of the, of the U.S. government's funding of coronaviruses in China, right? So it's, it's not one, this is important that even in this narrative that it's all sides involved in this. It's impossible from an objective perspective to not see if Wuhan is the center point that all of them are involved. Yet, but yet the whole time the right is, oh, China virus and Wuhan flu and Bad guy, Wafauchi, except every one of the governments involved, it goes right back up to Trump. And before that, everyone involved. Biden today. Here he is. Thumbs up. He said that China's gain-of-function experiments were carried out at, out with lax security, which led to a leak at the lab. Well, okay, well, lax security. This at, at the time this was being done, there was U.S. personnel on the ground. So, too, was the investigation by the WHO. So at the time when they pretended we weren't being told, there were U.S. people involved with the investigation. So how does that make sense? We've been played since the beginning here. Foreign laboratories did not have the adequate control measures in place for ensuring proper biosafety, which, you know, and that if, Wuhan, if uh, Fort Detrick has had numerous leaks, that's the same point. I don't think any of these groups actually are taking the right precautions or this is a, a, a cover for the way they test on people. But it says... Over the last two years, increasing evidence has suggested the virus was leaked from the lab. Some experts believe the virus could have escaped through infected science. I mean, this doesn't seem like anything new to me. What do you think? Huff, who worked at EcoHealth Alliance, said the nonprofit helped the Wuhan lab put together the best existing methods to engineer coronaviruses to attack other species, which is gain of function, right? So the argument that they would work on this and then something like this would happen, it's kind of hard not to put these things together. Eagle Alliance of all things, but if he's working with Eagle Alliance and these groups, the guy has, it's kind of like the whole Twitter Elon thing. I mean, the guy is involved inherently, and if he's there, it's potentially that he's partly complicit for what happened, and it would suit him to say what doesn't implicate him, implicate him, just my thought. China knew from day one that there was genetically engineered, a, there was a genetically engineered agent. The U.S. government is to blame for the transfer of dangerous biotech to the Chinese. I was terrified by what I saw. The army veteran from Michigan told the Sun, we were just handling the handing them bioweapon technology. Right. And guys, this is happening during Trump's administration. So it's kind of hard to make this only Biden's administration doing this with China, right? Which is where they're clumsily saying that is right now. From the bite from the Bannons and the people like that of the world. The it says a state run and, and research re- facility home to China's riskiest research has been under immense pressure. Well, so basically this boils down to somebody else who was there who just says 
I guess, a slight deviation on the general partisan narrative, which is that they're all at fault, which I mean, that aligns with me a little more than the other arguments, but I'm still not feel. I wonder if this is just the last ditch attempt to hide what else is going on. Cause at this point, the real crime guys is what's been done with those injections, which we'll get into. So let's talk about that because this is unparalleled at this point. And this literally may just be an attempt to get us weighted down, you know, weighted down with this story yet again, while it's never been this clear. Now, let's walk through this to finish the rest of the show out. This is pretty damn crazy. Now, it's not going to be short, by the way. I've got a few articles to read and so on, but this is the COVID is the latter half of the show here. Norwegian vaccine researcher is now warning that there is no reason for healthy adults between 18 and 64 to take the booster. This is this this is his substack, but we've already talked about this from specifically Norwegian countries where they're going like, I don't even I wouldn't take it myself. They're saying high level people involved with the government. Here's Western University. After consultation with our medical experts and local public health vaccinations are no longer required for students, employees and visitors. That's quite a big shift. Of course, stupidly, masks will still be required, but, you know, baby steps. These people are trying to step out of their, their whatever you want to call it, the dumpster fire of dangerous misinformation that they've been involved in while pointing at everybody else. Either way, the only way you can argue that makes sense is if even people that are on, quote, their side are even now, even they are beginning to see how transparent this is. Here's a really important one. Dr. Mansonori Fukushima. Professor uh, Emeritus, I believe, Emeritus, let me me look, I know what this means, but I don't think I've said it out loud in a show before, let's see. Emeritus. Emeritus, Emeritus. Professor Emeritus, At in case we want to look at that, it simply means retired but retaining the honorary title corresponding with, uh, to that held immediately before retirement. Oops. Here it is. Professor Emeritus at uh, uh, Kyoto University warns about vaccine harms to the Ministry of Health. He says, quote, you are ignoring science. It's a disaster. You spend billions on the vaccine, force people to inject it. Due to the vax, natural immunity has been suppressed. Which is exactly what we're saying in every possible way. This thing's destroying your immunity. Now, there's a whole section about the blood that I'm going to get into yet again for like the 14th time. And it's not just about Red Cross again. This is about the unvaccinated blood banks and how this is working. Really important, kind of dovetails with like the possible solution direction, what we should be doing to counteract all this. I won't get into it today, but there's a really important part in all this. It's not just that they're ignoring natural immunity. They're literally suppressing it with what the injection does. That's been, in my opinion, proven. Proven, not just evidence, but proven. But here's what it says. Well, I mean, I'll play the first part of it. It's it's all, I, I tend to not like playing these tran- the for the podcast version, the, where they have to read it out loud. It says nearly 2,000 people died, but I think the number is higher. Most of them fall asleep, crying. My God. Don't overlook written reports. If anything is found in an autopsy, what, what, what you are doing, you can't help but want to hide it. This is a case of drug harm. suffered greatly. Therefore, we will eradicate drug harm risks at all costs. I think the point is clear, right? The point is he's upset and all he's doing is pointing at the evidence. 
We can see this. How is it possible that you can't, right? This is how most everybody is feeling right now. Even people that were, quote, on their side a moment ago, right? Which is where we're going with this. Everybody's standing up at this point. And this is dramatic. Now, just wait till the last point we get at today. Because <clears throat> this all comes together at the end, and especially with where you know, it ties to Israel and the cover-up that's taking place. The reality of how clear it is they never cared about what was going to happen to you. Maybe because they knew it was going to be bad, maybe because that was the plan, or they early on got an insight to that and just didn't want to address it. Plausible deniability, but they knew. That's clear by now. Dr. Asim Moholtra, continuing to stand up. Now again, I, we should question every single one of these people. And you should question me. Always question everything you're looking at, guys. But the point is, this is a person who was moments ago on their side, who was feeling like we were conspiracy theorists and has either changed because of some unknown reason or has seen the truth. It seems pretty clear so far that it appears to be that he just sees the truth and he seems to be pointing it out. But be skeptical, as always. But I find this to be powerful, even if that, even if the case is disingenuous, because people on the other side can't ignore this. He says the evidence is clear. And by the way, he was one of the earliest ones to come out and say what I've been trying to say, that there's no positive spot for this. There's not an age group where this works. You know, unlike some content creators who say what YouTube says they're supposed to say, who have still tried to toe that line. Well, it's good for these ages. You're hurting people by towing that line. Okay, this is the truth. The evidence is clear. The mRNA jabs are causal in heart attacks and cardiac arrests. I call on the CMO, Chris Whitty, to acknowledge this fact publicly, suspend the rollout, and order a full public inquiry into why this got so badly, why we got this so very badly wrong. Now, when I say this is the truth, by the way, you shouldn't take my word at that. Look at this, research it. But my God, the evidence is undeniable. This is the truth. And by the way, we're not, my point is if it was like an exact percentage or amount, I would they say, well, we don't know for sure. But the point is, we know for sure they're causal in heart attacks and cardiac arrest. That's a fact. It's undeniable. Even they've been forced to admit it. The point is, it's just being suppressed and ignored. Here he is with another important video that I played a clip of in the beginning, and I'll just play it for you. I mean, this stuff is overwhelming. We have a pandemic of misinformed doctors mm-hmm. and misinformed and unwittingly harmed patients. So when doctors make clinical decisions on any medical intervention, what they don't know, Ivory, is that the information that they are receiving to make those clinical decisions is biased and corrupted from commercial interests. So, for example, drug industry, most drug trials now are sponsored by the drug industry. But they are there, they're profit-making businesses, and they will exploit the law, essentially, to draw conclusions from their own research that exaggerate the benefits and the safety of their drugs. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out, Ivory, if you as a doctor are making clinical decisions on biased and corrupted information, at best you're going to get suboptimal outcomes for your patients, and at worst you're going to do harm. And this is really a system failure that we need to tackle head on. These powerful corporations have had increasing both visible and invisible unchecked power. The FDA and other regulators around the world should not be taking money from industry. 65% of the funding of the FDA comes from pharma. I mean, that's just ridiculous. I mean, how do you ignore something like that? It's, it's incredible. And this is, that was in case you on the podcast, that was Dr. Asima Holtra calling out the entire thing. Here's another one of his tweets. 
First of all, he's captioning the steep from, uh, tweet from Steve Barclay saying, it's even easier to get your COVID jab as you can now book it through NHS app. Of course, let's not forget and miss the overlap there to the app direction and the digital ID point. This shows we're using innovation and tech to improve care for patients. Is that what it shows? If you're eligible for your jab, get it now. Right. Hawking vaccines as a government official, which shouldn't be okay. The point is, this is not necessary. Is there anybody out there that's confused about whether these are available? Everybody knows that. He's pushing the same booster or rather completely brand new injection that wasn't tested. That's now going to be jumped into the next thing, which we're already seeing. Even though the current data shows you that it's no longer even applicable on top of that, that it actually increases your risk in every way. And I'll show you that again. And it's not just my opinion. Here's Dr. Maholtra calling this out. Because, of course, if I just say that and people look at this, oh, what do you know? You're not a doctor. Well, guess who is a doctor? Guess who is one of the most respected cardiologists in the discussion? Dr. C. Maholtra. He says nobody should be eligible for the mRNA jabs now. No one, guys. Not a single person. The harms are horrific and unprecedented. Please end this madness immediately. I mean, my God. You're still questioning whether we were right about this, guys. It's very, very clear. Not because Asim Holter points it out, but because the evidence has always been on our side. Because we remained objective. Because we waited for peer-reviewed science and even then questioned that science. And it's led us to the truth. Because it's very obvious what's happening right now. Here he is, in addition to that, saying, I want to make it very clear. I find this also to be very important. Because this is what we've been telling you. This is not just a pandemic of misinformation from them. It is really about creating a situation where people in the authoritative positions are terrified to lose their clout so they don't speak out. Doctors who don't want to lose their positions, journalists who don't want to lose their inside information, broadcasters who don't want to be canceled. As he says, I want to make it very clear that a number of high-profile celebrities, journalists, broadcasters who come to him for medical advice have informed him that they will not be having any more injections. They know about the harms. They're just simply afraid to speak out about it. That is most people right now. They just are banking on the, I guess, unwillingness for them to speak out so they can pretend it's still a minority. It's not. Here's Joseph Ladapo from the Health I want to say the Ministry of Health all of a sudden for some reason. Speaking of thinking of UK from the health department of uh or the Surgeon General. Yeah, the health department, the Surgeon General of Florida. Health Department, right? I mean, I feel like there's a word I should be saying otherwise. Regardless, the Surgeon General, who of course is, you know, a right-leaning, alt-right, conspiracy, white supremacist, whatever. Oh, but he's black. Doesn't matter though, right? Like just the couched arguments about anybody that's a part of the MAGA or whatever they pretend these people are a part of, even though that doesn't even line up anymore. The point is. He's still a surgeon general. He still has background and he still has, he's still a doctor. You see, people still have the right, or actually pretty sure, regardless, he still has the position and is a person who has a right to speak on these topics. And just because he says what some what they say you're not supposed to say, even though it's more rooted in fact than anything else we can see, they pretend he's false, dangerous misinformation. He says these deaths aren't captured by other studies because these patients never made it to the hospital. It's an important point to think about. There's a lot of people out there, what it's sort of like the vaccinants we talk about, or somebody gets in a car accident after driving home from the injection and nobody counts that as because of the injection or any number of other factors like that. mRNA COVID-19 injections are far less safe than any injection widely used. Why does, when does sanity return to science? Why do scientists breathlessly defend this technology? It's a good point. But of course, because people have 
are you're now attacking their chosen religion, people are going to freak out and push back, regardless of the facts. The bottom line is there are a lot of people out there they're not in, intentionally ignoring despite their broad net of just in case before covid to say well just in case we want to loop in any death or any side effect or anything just to make sure and then it just immediately later became the absolute number the opposite's happening on the other side which we should see here's dr ryan cole in an interview with dr drew and that show by the way which i'm same thing why these people that were very mainstream just kind of slowly sidled themselves into the independent sphere I, I'm very skeptical about this, specifically from the content creators or the people like Dr. Drew or, you know, like how MZDog, MDogs, geez, I don't know why I always forget about that. ZDog MD, you know, starts kind of acting like the booster's dangerous. Like, man, you've lost your clock a long time ago by shouting down the provable a long time ago, like antibody dependent enhancement despite peer reviewed science. Fake news, right? But this says Dr. Cole has been talking about specifically placentas in cases of fetal demise. He says there are the, they are the wrong size for gestal, uh, gestational age, calcified, contain spike proteins, antibodies, and have induced excess inflammation in them. Now, this also kind of connects to a point we're going to get to at the end, which is a big one of the things I added last second my brother sent me, which is incredible and exactly what we've already talked about. Somebody catch the bot in the chat for me. Let me play this for you. These are placentas coming from obstetric colleagues around the country. These placentas are the wrong size for the gestational age. These placentas right. are calcified. These placentas have spike protein in them. These placentas right. have antibodies in them. These placentas have induced excess inflammation in them. This particular one is from a nurse, hospital, eight months pregnant, required to get the jab to keep her job very shortly thereafter, unfortunately, intrauterine fetal demise. I know you guys talked to a couple other colleagues that went over that kind of data. Hmm. It's just everywhere, everywhere. Now, meanwhile, don't forget, this is what they're trying to sell you. Like not the, the idea that this is even possible outside of a cartoon, it blows my mind. Like this is actually the epitome of the scientific argument coming from the other side that's been roundly pointed at by the people in the corporate discussion. COVID-19 vaccines and the misinterpretation of perceived side effects, right? Just the two main parts here. Fear-mongering and misinformation being peddled by people with no scientific training. Right. Clearly, no scientific training. Clearly. Not like the leading cardiologist or the most cited experts. No, no, none of that, right? According to this study, very well sought out and do with due diligence, right? Peddled by nobody with scientific training. How stupid. To terrorize people into staying unvaccinated. Oh, is that why? Every subjective assumption everywhere is not just causing people to remain susceptible to outbreaks, but could also be causing more side effects. And here's their biological mechanism. The constraint, the, con the constriction of veins, arteries, and vessels under mental stress is the most likely cause for where there has been blood clots, strokes, and heart attacks. Basically, as we pointed out, saying that if subjects are panicked, concerned, or stressed, and scared of the vaccine that you'll then cause their heart attacks, blood clots. And that's it. That's it. That must be the, that must be the reason, right? That's what they're saying right here is the most likely cause for blood clots, strokes, and heart attacks. Fear, anxiety. That's really where we've gotten to. This person feels un, that they are st enough standing to come out and say, you scared the unprecedented rise in heart attacks because of your misinformation. I mean, 
it's this, this will go down in history as one of the worst and most transparent attempts by a clearly medical authoritarian entity to shut you down I've, as I've ever seen. This is so pathetic. And they probably know that. And this is like this is why we see ridiculous defibrillators going up in children's schools as if that's normal. Because they know what's happening. They've known for a long time. This is from June 8th. Guys, this has been going long before that. What's funny is even now the narrative has shifted even again. But this is when healthy young people are dying suddenly and unexpectedly from a mysterious syndrome. Oh, are they dying from a mysterious syndrome? Or is the syndrome what you call the complete lack of information? I mean, even the Daily Mail in their bullet points contradicts themselves. Right. It's saying people are this age need to get their hearts checked. So, okay, so we're clear. This is about your heart problems. But we're going to barely point that out. But it says this may potentially be at risk of having sudden adult death syndrome. Like it's a syndrome, right? You're going to die from sudden adult death. No, that's not what that is. It says right in the next bullet point. SADS, sudden adult death syndrome, is an umbrella term to describe just simply unexpected death in young people. That's it. And I've, I've done a whole show on this. It is actually a catch-all for what we can't explain in a certain category of age. That's it. So if it goes down as SADS, it means we have no idea what happened. That's not my opinion. That's exactly what this is. But here's the last bullet point. A 31-year-old woman who died in her sleep may have had SIDS. Or SADS, excuse me, SADS. How can you say it's a catch-all umbrella term for what we don't know, and then the next bullet point say you may have had it? Had what? An unexplainable death? I mean, this is just ridiculous, but my point, don't miss it, is they are actively seeding the idea that SIDS and SADS are a diagnosable problem. So that way they can just go, it's they died from SADS. That's terrible. I know it happens sometimes. That means we have no idea what happened. But there are actual doctors writing that down as the diagnosis and nothing else gets put out. It, it, It ends the conversation. And guess what? We're having an unexplainable, unprecedented rise in the unexpected deaths. Oh, what a shock. Well, it's not being called unexpected and unexplainable when you write down SADS. Well, here's a quick little addition to this. This is from November 21st, 2022. Weird that I've never seen it until today and weird that nobody in the corporate media has pointed at it because here's what it says. You know, the ones calling the collapsing athlete conversation fake news. Well, here is one part of the larger discussion, because you can add to this the spike proteins, the mRNA, all of the obvious heart problems they've admitted can happen like myocarditis, but yet they never want to point out that it's happening. Take all of that in conjunction with this one point and then add to this whether or not they're wearing masks, which also restrict their their breathing. The effects of this injection, specifically Pfizer's original booster, whatever that means, the bivalent, who knows? They conflate those terms today. And the effect of this vaccination on VO2 in recreational athletes, you will never guess what it found, or you will, because you watch the show. The goal of the present study was to systematically evaluate the effect of a booster vaccination. So let's be clear what we're talking about. This is the, the injections they're currently giving on maximum oxygen uptake and potential signs specifically of perimyocarditis and sports participation. Now, what's interesting, as I think it was Angela that pointed out to me, why, why it's weird that they only make this about the booster. Just so we're clear, it's the same thing. Not necessarily the bivalent version of this. That's an t- entirely different thing. But they're talking about BNT162B2. Now, that is the original. 
My point is when they say the booster, they conflate that with the older one. So it could mean that too. But we're referencing the original shot. So the point is, this restricts your breathing. A group of 40, or rather your oxygen uptake to be very clear. A group of 42 analyzed athletes showed a statistically significant, you know, unlike the mask and its transmission reduction, statistically significant 2.7% decrease in the maximum oxygen after vaccination. I mean, this is as clear as it gets. It's one part on top of all of it. A potentially clinically relevant decrease of 8.6% or more occurred in eight, almost 20% of the athletes. Factor that into the world, guys. You're watching what's happening. Here's the conclusion. In our population of recreational endurance athletes, booster vaccination with the specifically BNT126B2 mRNA vaccine resulted in a statistically significant decrease in VO2 max seven days after vaccination. You know, but wait around 15 minutes to make sure you're good, right? The clinical impact hereof needs to be further determined. No major adverse events were observed, right? That does, but the point is what we're proving is an absolute reduction of the amount of oxygen you can bring in. You wear a mask, it makes it worse. You Then you add on spike proteins and everything else that cause all, it all creates a perfect storm to drive what we're seeing today. How can you pretend this isn't happening when you have stuff like this right in front of you? I think that was all I had. To, but the point was simply that it's obvious this is having an effect and that it is absolutely translating to the potential of exactly what we're seeing, myocarditis. But yet November, right? Because clearly the corporate media is all about trusting the science. This is peer-reviewed. Well, maybe, maybe because of the new information, you're going to see some of these people go, well, I, you know, maybe I would do it differently, right? Maybe now that we can see everything, maybe I'll go on the record and say, had I known all of this, maybe I'd do it differently. But guess what? You'd be wrong. Here's Sajid Javid with the current information saying he would still force you to take an injection. He would still fire 40,000 care workers. Right. Think about the hubris it takes to make that statement, knowing that the firing of people destroyed ever. Even the people in the current agenda are saying these things were mistakes to justify the current actions. But here he is going, nope, I would do it the same. Because narrative, because government, because that's what we're supposed to say. I, I, I agree. Dis disgraceful. Disgusting. We've seen that 40,000 people were actually lost in the care sector because we did have a particular policy. And I wonder now, just in reflection, when you look back on things, would you have done it differently in terms of the mandate that was uh, brought in? Would there be a sense that we could bring those people back into the workforce to reinstate and compensate them? Because actually that could help a lot, release a lot of beds in the NHS. Would I have done it any differently yeah, looking back at now? No, absolutely not. Because when you're a minister, you have to make decisions based on the facts and information you have in front of you at the time. You're not able to predict the future. But when facts change, then you should, you, you should also, as a minister, be able to change your mind on that as well and, and be practical and sensible. So I would have done a single thing differently. The, the double vaccination provides a lot of protection against uh, serious illness and death, but it doesn't uh, protect you against catching the disease and it doesn't uh, doesn't protect, protect you against passing it on. So if now is the time to get your booster. The trials for the COVID vaccines were to test the reduction of severity of one or more symptoms. They didn't test reduction in hospitalization, death or transmission. Sajid Javid here, when mandates were being rolled out for care home workers, literally said 
get a jab or get a new job. And, you know, the whole premise behind that was that care home workers should be vaccinated in order to protect vulnerable and elderly people in care homes. But there was never any evidence, not any good hard evidence, that the vaccines would reduce transmission. I did find it very strange that by the time I was leaving, our residents were having their booster. They'd had the first two. That suggests to me that the vaccines actually didn't stop you spreading it. They didn't stop you catching it. So it seemed very strange that we were having to, that I was going to get sacked for not having it at this point. Uh, the vaccine's reducing transmission only for about eight weeks. With Omicron, it's probably less. And for that, I would be dismissed if I don't have a vaccine. It's not, the science isn't strong enough. That's your view. And, and, and your views? Do you have any view on that? You got you got to love that. Oh, well, that's your view, stupid. Well, what do you think? <laughs> like as a as a politician speaking to a doctor. I mean, how stupidly embarrassing. And that was a big deal when that happened. The point here, guys, is that it's obvious. It's very, very obvious that they did the same thing that Scott Adams did, that, that Ben Shapiro's doing. Oh, we didn't know. We did what we thought was right in the moment. That was always what was going to happen. How is it possible that we could know? And I do say no because we made this statement clearly from the beginning. I mean, apparently longer than most in 2020 saying, look at the data, look at their own documentation. They never tried to do transmission. They didn't try to reduce transmission. They, on the record, Talzak said we never even looked. The point was because they knew, and well, rather Forbes argued it was very clear that they knew they wouldn't even stop transmission. That's why they never tried because it would show they wouldn't. And so they'd rather argue that it might. And they went forward. I mean, and they said the government, all they had to do was just make a pay more and they would have done it. It was a conscious choice. How is it possible I could know that in 2020 that Forbes could write about it, but apparently Javid 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 can't know that, you know? Or or Ben Shapiro goes, "Hey, lied to us." Well, how can they lie to you if they didn't? If they claiming they didn't know? I mean, it just gets so ridiculous. You're watching shills talk to shills and influence. It's ridiculous. The point is, if you cared, it was always there, and we've been talking about it. Now, that's why we get to the point about this. Rochelle Walensky says, this year, so stupid, I can't believe she even put this out, marks the 50th anniversary. The anniversary? First of all, anniversary, a date on which the event took place in the previous year. Well, that's interesting. I would have expected... I mean, yeah, one of the meanings is sort of like a celebratory thing, right? Most people take anniversary as a celebration. But I guess you could just... I mean, the memorial, I guess? I don't know. But basically she says, this marks the 50th anniversary of the end of the Tuskegee syphilis study. Right. You mean the PSYOP or the the false, basically where they trick people of color into, they trick black people into getting these injections, telling them it was vitamins, I think, and basically gave them syphilis and then studied them and then didn't help them at all. Yeah, that's a great anniversary to discuss, right? And how the overlap is obvious in regard to COVID-19. She says, tomorrow I'll be joined by colleagues and public health leaders as we honor, honor, the 623 African-American men, they're suffering and sacrifice. I can't even believe you're writing this. And our commitment to ethical research and practice. Wow. Our commitment to ethical research and practice. Now get ready for it. This one, this is, this is, this is what I wrote. This is like the child molester promising to watch over the daycare better this time. If you choose to trust a proven manipulator, it's no one's fault but your own when it happens again. It's ridiculous. You're watching the people who, who, whether you're talking about Tuskegee or what's happening right now and going, yeah, we trust you again. Do it again. My God. As Viva Frey points out to the same tweet, either you don't understand how evil you are or you do. 
And Eva, Eva, Eva Frey is a very objective say, and, 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 uh, and uh, fact-based person. He points out what they're saying over here. Participating in clinical trials benefits each of us. This is 2020. Read more about why and how African-American communities can be represented. You know, in those trials that we now know were completely falsified, manipulated, lied about, or, you know, that were dangerous. They did that hid things. Yeah, totally. There's not, not the same thing as Tuskegee, though, as you focused on. I mean, my God, we're living in a clown world. Now, I want to make a point about this. And before we talk about the bivalent booster, I guess, to finish for the most part, Na Nashville Angela points out, oh, my, in response to the article, which we've seen everywhere. Not just this specific headline, but the sentiment. More deaths among vaccinated Americans is apparently not a reason to avoid the vaccine. <laughs> Experts say. Yeah. Well, I want to make a clear point about this. It's so clear how they're trying to sidestep the, what this really does show you. But I kind of wanted to break this down <clears throat> in a really specific way. Right? Like using a, a very simplistic kind of mathematical breakdown, right? So I'm just going to say it instead of I don't want to write it out and everything, but just kind of follow along and, you know, tell me if this makes sense to you. OK, so instead, let's take let's take the analogy of the entire you can make it about the United States, the whole world. Same point. So let's just pretend we're talking about 10 people that represent the entire population we're discussing. OK, 10 people out of those 10 people, nine of them have taken the jab. OK, so which is or excuse me, it is let's go with eight of them to overlap the numbers correctly. Sorry to start off confusing already. So 10 people represent the total population. Eight of them have taken the jab. 80%. Simple, right? Now, let's pretend, for sake of conversation, that the injection reduces hospitalization and death always exactly 50%, which is some variation there in what they're sort of arguing today. But let's just make it simple for thought process. So 10 people, eight of them got the jab, and the jab reduces hospitalization and death hypothetically by 50%. But in the context of the conversation, we're assuming that's the case. Five of them then die. Okay, so out of the 10, five of them have died, four of which were jabbed, which is 80%. Okay, so out of the five that died, four of them were jabbed. Now, in that jabbed category, you could argue that that would break down to some sort, you know, the math would essentially add up to what they try to argue makes sense. But there's a lot of other caveats in all of this. And the most easy one to point out is let's let's make sure we remember here that the actual death rate, according to the, the recent study, the Ionitis group and plenty of other examples is about 0.03 percent globally. OK, so factor just that point in if if the death, if the chance of dying from COVID-19 is so low that it's less than the flu, which is what they're pointing out. And even the Oxford calculator has been forced to admit for, for almost everybody, the global average. Then you're talking about these people who are taking a jab that's supposed to, let's just take the example, reduce their death and hospitalization by 50%. And yet the majority of those people are dying and the numbers are pretty close to the average amount of the percentage of people injected, which is the point we keep making, which at best seems to suggest it's benign which we know that's not the truth and only have a underrepresentation of the non-injected people on the side, but yet the risk of dying is dramatically low. So how is it possible that you're then taking something that's supposed to reduce that even more? And yet the numbers are almost exactly about the percentage of people that are injected. 
I mean, there's so many other things to include in this discussion, like the the side effects that come along with it or the manipulation of whether we're testing, whether they actually have. I mean, there's so many parts of this. But the bottom line is you're looking at the data in front of us right now that makes it very clear that at best it's it, you're taking something that has really no effect. But we know that's not true based on all the information. So the numbers are being manipulated. But what we're staring at right now, which, again, was this point. The, the articles coming out saying that most people that are dying are vaccinated, not that an overrepresentation of them are dying. And that makes sense because most people are vaccinated. But we're talking a majority of the deaths that are happening. And you take that percentage of how many that is of the deaths, and it's pretty aligned with what the percentage of people in vaccinated are. I keep making this point. So if the death rate is 0.03, which again, here's the, that's actually what I have up right here. From Jay Bhattacharya, the infection fatality rate average around the globe for 0 to 560 is 0.035. Here's the actual study, by the way. Oh, wait. Oh, it's right here. I thought I opened it. This one. And you can see that the breakdown gets dramatically low when you get into most age groups. Right? So if we're looking, excuse me, for, I mean, just even just 0.69, I mean, the flu, we're talking 0.1, right? So the bottom line is, that risk undermines the very idea that that percentage should be so high in the people with an injection that's supposed to also lower that risk. Meanwhile, the people that aren't being injected seem to be completely not represented in what's going on, despite the fact that they're just wrapping up everything they could possibly find. All of this, I think, exposes the reality, right? But then let's make sure we understand. We're talking about an injection here, right? The, the, the bivalent, which we just talked about, November 8th. This is a preprint, which I'll make a point about next that very clearly shows, continues to point out the rate of adverse reactions for the bivalent, the fourth shot or the second booster, significantly higher among those receiving bivalent versus the other one. 84.6% compared to 51. And they had to take more medications as needed. And they were out of work longer than any other injection. How do you pretend that's better or working more? And that's what they're saying right now. So the point really quickly about the peer-reviewed point is, we need to understand this is the broken nature. And this is what I pack with James Lyons Weiler, who, by the way, I'm going to have back on the show soon, is trying to accomplish by showing you you don't need the bureaucratic side of the peer reviewed process. All you need is the experts. But the bureaucratic politi- politics side, is what it, that's what's broken all of this. The point is, this was done on November 8th. Now, it's not December 3rd. Some, it, these things sometimes take a while. But how much you want to bet this never gets peer reviewed? How many studies have we seen that you can find out never got peer-reviewed? It's a preprint with something super important that never ends up moving. Why? How do you explain that? Well, because the process is broken, and there's plenty of examples of that. Here's Josh uh, Gutzkow pointing out. Imagine being a researcher at the CDC or Wisconsin Department of Health and not being able to get your research published just because it inconveniently demonstrated equally high viral loads in breakthrough infections among the vaccinated. Read about it for yourself. A CDC employee themselves struggles to even get it published because it challenges the narrative, let alone something that made it through but is yet to be peer-reviewed, that these things left stranded over there so it can always be dismissed like Bayer's in the context of just finding a reason to dismiss it, not that Bayer's needs to be peer-reviewed. The point here is that Alex also points out he had, Alex Washburn, had a paper analyzing COVID burden, rejected on the grounds that, quote, it could disrupt the public health message. So now you're rejecting provable information because it makes people hesitant. 
We've already seen that exact discussion. Even Scotland sort of made that argument about researching neonatal deaths because, well, it'll undermine vaccine hesitancy. Seriously. Peer review in the wrong hands is not quality control. It's an ideological purity filter. And guess what? He even had, he found the tweet of the woman who actually peer reviewed his study. Here's what it says. I helped reject a dangerous peer review on anti-masking in children. I feel proud of myself. This is why I do it. These little things matter. Masking does not harm language development for F for F, F, F sake. Seriously, even though it's proven, even though people like Lena Wen have come out and said it, it's obvious and it's painfully stupid to argue that the obvious isn't how the fact that this thing is blocking the mouth reading, which is provably a part of how these children develop and pretending like it doesn't happen because you like masks. And yet you're a doctor or like apparently I don't not a a peer reviewer who has this right. And because this message is being perpetuated, I'm going to stop it from happening and proudly state that. It says on the topic of the article under consideration, mass and childhood language development as a lip reader. This is a deaf guy, by the way. It says in his profile, he strongly suspects that if you studied anything, by the way, that you would find out that this is obvious. And the point is that she doesn't agree. So she shuts it down, despite the fact that it's provable information. This is my point about the fact that these things, despite being very, very important to the current conversation, are stranded in non-peer-reviewed land probably forever. And that's how that works. Now, with everything we've already seen today, here's what Secretary Xavier Bursera is saying. An updated COVID injection, so we're talking about the bivalent, by the way, can protect you from the worst outcomes of COVID. Right. You know, this is in contradiction to the most recent science. So I guess he just knows something we don't. Okay. Well, it says, it's if it's been over two months since your last dose, go get another one. Great. Okay, so no longer are we pretending this is a yearly injection. We're talking every two months now, which, by the way, is exactly what we've been telling you, that the three-month thing going all back to St. Louis that accidentally said it early, right? It's amazing how many things we saw too early when some government person poked it out there before they were supposed to, and then weirdly became exactly what we predicted, almost like they put it out earlier than they were supposed to. The point is, it's always been three months. It's been very clear from the beginning, and here we are. In lockstep with that exact point. Now, here's what's most embarrassing to finish this off. Truly, as you can see the last few tabs here, they're now in their own discussion because they're trying to argue why it's dangerous again, undermining that this thing even makes sense. But here they are still pushing it because that's what they're supposed to do, right? This is from November 25th. Omicron boosters probably aren't very effective against COVID illness. Mild, but will likely prevent hospitalizations, experts say. (laughs) So that means we have no idea, and we're guessing, because this is an injection that was based on mice study, eight mice, wasn't tested on humans, that we gleaned from BOBA1 injection. So it's an entirely new thing. We're pretend is not. we don't, we're pretending it might be safe for you. Even the WHO said, well, I guess we'll find out once it gets used, right? Now we're at a point where we're going to the next variant and still pretending like the one based on BA1 that was gleaned over to the BA4 and 5 that was then adapted based on mice studies is now going to make sense for BQ1 or whatever it is. Why? Because they go, it'll probably do it. So what's this probably going to do? It likely prevent it. Okay, so what are you basing that on? BA1 studies that were then bastardized to BA4 and 5 vaccine conversation that is now being pushed over a third time based on what exactly? The hope that it will stop it? Pretty much. It, this says the CDC in a real world study, which we'll talk about, found the Omicron COVID boosters are less than 50% effective. That's worse than a coin flip. 
against mild illness across almost all adult age groups when compared to people who were unvaccinated. <laughs> oh, great. It says, but people who received the boosters were better off than those who got the old shots. Okay. Better off in what way? Read this for yourself. What they point at is a clinical response, and they love to pretend like we know that means this X, Y, and Z, despite the fact that the FDA admitted we don't know that that translates to efficacy. We assume that. That's their statement. And on top of that, that we're already on new boost or new variants, they claim. So even if that's if that's true, that this is the very reason this first one was adult, was altered to meet the new variants, but now we're on something else now. So BA1 to three things removed, but we're still pushing it. Guess what it says next? With their protection increasing from 28 to 56%. Wow. So now we're down to selling 56% as good. Fantastic. You know what's better than 56%? Your, your basic immune system. The study did not look at hospitalization. Okay. But experts believe the shots will provide strong protection against severe outcomes. Okay, so we didn't study it at all. So what are you basing that on? Hope. Wishful thinking. I'm not even making that up. For seniors, the booster was 19% effective at preventing mild illness. 19%. When administered as their fourth dose, the fourth dose was 19% effective compared to the unvaccinated, who, by the way, have a 99 point something percent rated you know, illness. For, in general illness, it's basically non-existent as well. But for death in general, it's it's dramatically less than the flu. Global average of death is 0.03%. According to the I-9 history, it, I mean, this stuff is undeniable at this point. It was not 23%. When I say that, I mean the context of the science and what they're telling you to trust and what that says about their narrative. But it goes on to say it was 23% effective against mild illness when given their fifth dose. Five doses. 23%. But we're crazy for saying this doesn't make sense. This is why nobody's listening to them anymore. They've lost the plot. Now, here's the most important part. Omicron BQ COVID variants, which threaten people's compromised immune systems, are now dominant. You know who just said that? We were just talking about this as they were as Fauci was going, get the bivalent, get it now. 30 seconds from now, up oh, doesn't matter anymore. No longer dominant. So you went out of your way to force people to take something that increased their side effects, didn't work as well, and the bottom line is we're no longer even relevant, even if any of this made sense to begin with. November 25th. It says the Omicron BQ coronavirus subvariants have risen to dominance in the U.S. as people gather and travel for Thanksgiving holiday. First, we should point out that we've proven that they don't have the ability to actually know what's dominant. They're using estimates based on specific locations. That's first. And how we even know if they're ta- how do we even test for these variants? Same point. They've only got a few locations where they estimate based on those. The rest of them are using PCR tests and they assume that's what they're looking at. I made this point a long time ago. So all of this should be questioned. But the funny point is, if this is actually dominant, that means it's been dominant for longer than they're telling you now, because they're only just now getting this based on estimates. It's been this way already, and they're forcing this anyway. It says putting people with compromised immunity systems at increased risk. You know what does that? The injection, because they didn't study if it was safe for them or elderly people or pregnant women or any of it, it seems. But here it says BQ1 and BQ11 are causing 57% of new infections in the U.S., according to CDC data. Odd, there's no mention of danger, seeming because it's less problematic. 
like all the rest of them have been before, if this is even what's happening, because it continues to get more transmissible and less dangerous, which is how these things tend to go. But they don't care because all they want to do is hype the cases because that's all they've ever really done. It's fear mongering. Now, here's another way to look at it, right? So we go through NBC's perspective where they go, this isn't working very well at all. It doesn't even apply to the new thing. But here's what health has to say. How effective are the barivalent boosters? Well, CDC shares the same study we were just talking about at NBC. It's amazing how one outlet can see it differently through a different lens, isn't it? Here's what they say. New data shows the updated COVID booster provides additional protection. Well, that's a fair statement, I guess. Is it the right kind of protection? Is additional 1%, 0.01%, Who cares? It's additional. It's better. Don't you want better? <laughs> They're selling this at the stupidest people out there. The updated boosters are now considered to be more effective against the Omicron subvariants than the original monovalent. So we're talking about B1, B4, 5. Not the thing that currently we just found out is dominant, even though we're still pretending this is some endless series of Omicron variants. The boosters are expected to also provide protection, against the new emerging subvariants. But experts say it's too soon to tell. Otherwise means we have no idea, but we want to think, we want to pretend, so we can make you think it might. Sort of like when they said, these ones do too, we think, and then, oh, no, they don't, take the bivalent. Oops. <laughs> but we were happy to keep floating the possibility right up until we had something new to jam in your arm, right? It's crazy. These things are at best, 50-something percent, and I don't even buy that, but they're going, yay, it's better. It produces a response. Is it the right response? We don't care. FDA pulls COVID antibody treatment on December 1st. Why? Well, it's not effective against the dominant variants. Okay? You see where this is going? Let's piece this together. Okay? So the FDA pulls this antibody treatment, monoclonal antibodies, based on the same thing we're talking about, taking antibodies from people who are sick right and we're talking about arguably based on their narrative and you could read into this too people with the vaccine antibodies because those are the good ones they say right okay so they're taking the antibodies and using it from people that produced them based on these injections but guess what it's not effective anymore so they don't want to use it now but let's keep giving them the injection that causes those same antibodies because that protects you how does that make sense the fda I'm going to notice Wednesday said, by the way, what in the world is this Beelzebub thing here? Be Beb Televimab is apparently the name. I'm not even making that up. That's actually the name of this. Oh, I, I think I closed it. Well, anyway, that's, I mean, this, I thought it was a typo. This monoclonal antibody is apparently called Beb Televimab. <laughs> I mean, what are they trying to make it impossible? Probably. But apparently Beb Televimab is no longer authorized for use it was never approved, by the way. It was always emergency authorized, just like everything under the sun today, forever. But it's been removed because it's not expected to neutralize specifically BQ1 and BQ11. Okay, so you're telling me the antibodies that you're making with these things aren't working against these. How is the vaccine any different? It says the FDA, in a notice Wednesday, said that Beb Televimab is not approved for use because it's not expected to neutralize these things. Well, fine. You didn't approve the other things for use either. You're still using those. It's, it, nothing means anything to these people, guys. It's just narrative. The Health and Human Services Department is putting on hold pending requests for Beb to love a mob, so I guess you can ask for it. And the manufacturer, Eli Lilly, has also halted commercial distribution of the antibody treatment until further notice. 
very, very telling. But go get the injection that causes those same antibodies that also won't be effective because vaccines work. Makes sense, right? Okay, well, let's finish in, in, I know I keep saying that, but people always make fun of me for that. I am really getting to the end of it. You can see by the tabs. <laughs> but here is the last part of this mini segment. For the last segment, I think this is actually pretty crazy. By the way, you know, the reason I think that happens often is because I include things after the fact that I forgot I did and I think I'm finishing and so on. But here is a really alarming direction step, or not a step in this direction. HIV vaccine, this is posted yesterday, a trial about an HIV vaccine makes pivotal leap towards making super antibodies. Yeah, that sounds great. So we're in real time exposing how these people are essentially guessing at making things for you. And now we're going to let them make super versions of that and tell us it works. <laughs> that sounds great. Here's what it says. Scientists are one step closer to developing a breakthrough technology that it right now is being applied to HIV. But it's saying that could lead to a vaccine for HIV. But as always, seemingly everything they're working on is this like nebulous universal everything right now that they're just applying to things they want to make you look at. But it says right here that it aims to cause the body to create a rare kind of cell. So no longer are we talking about creating a response, even by using mRNA. They're now at the point where like, look, we're going to straight up create these things in your body that we design on this computer screen. Not an mRNA that makes it happen based on the real version. No, we are straight up making this now, which it may be what they're already doing. Who knows? But it says at the most general level. This is a quote. The trial results show that one can design vaccines that induce antibodies with pre-specified genetic features. So we're, this is bioengineering, guys. And this may herald a new era of precision vaccines. The fact that we're allowing any kind of direction like this to happen right now, when seemingly everybody's questioning what's going on, is incredible to me. This stuff should we should be at like a pause moment right now where we're like, we don't even like everything they're doing is experimental stuff that maybe some of this is good. Maybe some of it's the right direction. But how do we even know anymore? And this is what some people point out is one of the biggest problems. I find it to be one of the biggest successes of all of this, that we're finally questioning everything. The point is, we never should have trusted that science was always right and that these doctors always had our best interest in heart. Why we ever childishly felt that way is stupid because it's never been the full case. It's always been some and not others. Today, they're acting like this catastrophic loss of trust in the system is the problem. No, guys, this is a big a win for objectivity. So now we're watching them build other mRNA vaccines, build on top of that and make mRNA universal vaccines. We should be running from all of this, and maybe we are. But this is happening too, and I think I'm, all of this concerns me. It says the study was first the first to test the approach in humans and was effective in 97%, they claim. At what, I mean, at the point you read the study for yourself, I'm going to actually come back to this, the science studies right there. The vaccine technology is called germline targeting. Trial results show that one can design a vaccine that elicits made-to-order antibodies in humans. I guess assuming we just know they're the right antibodies because apparently they don't seem to care today. In addition to possibly being a breakthrough for the treatment of HIV, of course, the vaccine technology could also impact the development of other things, flu, hepatitis, coronavirus, and whatever else, or all of it simultaneously, right? That's where this seems to go. Call them super antibodies if you want. The first step in the multi-phase vaccine design. Right. That's where this is going. The multi-phase vaccine design. How are we going to pretend like this all isn't the same thing? Or, you know, the same 
in direction, motivation. Well, guess what, though? The long, the big next problem to finish off is the long COVID pandemic. Who didn't see that coming? This is how they're maintaining the state of emergency like they continue to do over and over and over based on the continued consequences of blah, blah, blah. It's what they do for everything else. It's not an emergency anymore. So how are we maintaining a state of emergency? They'll make this go on as long as they want to. And now they're calling anything they point at long COVID. Now, is there such a thing as long COVID? Well, I argue that's yet to be proven. That's being objective. I don't think that's real. I think this is vaccine side effects and whatever else they point at, including other illnesses. But my point is, I don't know. And I'm honest enough to tell you that they don't know either. They're not honest enough to tell you that. But here's what they're writing about. Long COVID may be the next public health disaster. $3.7 trillion economic impact rivaling the Great Recession. Perfect. So it all continues to collapse everything in the direction of the Great Reset. Great. Fantastic. What a shock. Long COVID, apparently, according to NBC, is a chronic illness resulting from COVID-19 infection. Period. That's it. Fact. Right? No, not fact. It's not even proven. And it's amazing, just like with SIDS and SADS, that these mindless corporate media stenographers just pump out whatever they're told without even thinking about it. Do you know long COVID is proven? Have you even looked into it? Or are you just telling, are you just repeating what you're supposed to say? I mean, guys, the point is to make this clear. I've done entire segments on this. Here's even the Wikipedia page for crying out loud. I can show you the nature study where they literally define the three leading theories about what's causing this as of like a week or a month ago. So if they're debating about how it's being caused, it's not proven yet. I think that's pretty clear. But here's what even Wikipedia says. Long COVID or any number of these synonymous terms, because it's totally defined, right? is a condition characterized characterized by long-term health problems persisting or appearing after typical period of COVID recovery. Do you realize how silly that is? They make a point to even say appearing. So you could literally have COVID-19 or whatever they say that is, and then four weeks later get a cold, and that by definition gets written down as COVID-19 simply because you're having similar symptoms within a certain period after COVID is over. And I'm not even making this up. You can look this up anywhere. That's the general point. It says, although studies into long COVID are underway, that's pretty clear. As of May 2022, there is no consensus on the definition of the term. Now, you can argue that doesn't mean it's not proven. It's the point that it's not, though. The point is that if we haven't even come to consensus on what the definition is, how are we going to pretend we know what's causing this? Long COVID has been described as having the potential to affect nearly every organ system causing further conditions, or it's literally anything they point at after COVID and they go, yeah, probably long COVID, right? My stomach hurts. My hand hurts. My fingernails fell off. Must be COVID-19 long COVID because it happened afterward. That's about the gist of this, including respiratory disorders, nervous system disorders, neurological disorders, mental health disorders, metabolic disorders. Oh, you know, whatever. Even things that have no connection to the injection, apparently, which is kind of impossible seeing as how everything. The point is, it is whatever they want it to be. I mean, this down here says the CDC, their term post-COVID conditions qualifies long COVID. And here's my point. As symptoms, that's simply it. Symptoms. Four or more weeks after first infection. That's it. So you get symptoms. After four weeks, it's long COVID. What a great barrier. That makes sense, right? And here, I might as well just do this since I'll include it in case you guys want to look at it. Since we're making the point. Here's the study. 
one of the most recent. This is June, excuse me, so a couple months ago, a few months ago. The point is, as you can read in this for yourself, it's saying that there are three different leading theories about what this is. And you can read them for yourself. There's one person in Rome making the argument about one thing. There's another person in, uh, you can read it for yourself. I've got a whole segment on this. I didn't highlight it. The point is clues to long COVID. Scientists strive to unravel what is driving this. Are we pretending we know? But apparently NBC can write an entire, it says, what's happening? Right? They'll put it down here as fact. Right? But here's the other point I want you to consider. As React 19 points out, well, there's another group of people who are never experiencing, who've never had COVID, but yet are having exactly the same problem. What do you know? It's following COVID injections. But I guess that's not being talked about. Of course not. There's another group of patients as well who haven't had a lot of press. And these are the people who have developed long COVID-like symptoms, seemingly just from a vaccination as opposed to from COVID infection. I'm not sure if you've had a chance to look at any of their blood samples to see what's going on there either. We haven't looked at those patients in large numbers. We have looked at a few of them. So, however, the good news is that we have got a grant from the South African Medical Research Council to compare groups, the long COVID population, with a group of patients that had the the vaccine and now suffered from vaccine damage, and we want to compare that with controls. So hopefully we'll soon have that data. Um, I know people like to say, uh, it is long, it, they call it long COVID, but I think there is a clear distinction. It's long COVID from the, the, the actual acute infection versus vaccine damage after vaccination. And I think we need to tease out the exact differences and similarities between these two groups. I think it will mean a lot to the vaccine injured um, if the exact pathology can be determined because that group in particular faces a lot of disbelief and gaslighting, even above the usual level that long COVID sufferers do. Right. So the point here is that, you know, obviously they believe long COVID is something. Now, my point is it hasn't been proven. That's all I'm saying. And there's there's also peer-reviewed science that clearly makes the argument that there seems to be no connection and that people that think they have long COVID are mostly people that have never gotten COVID and vice versa. And the point is they argue it seems possibly psychosomatic. Just one possible theory. But the reality is it's not defined. And so what we're seeing at at the very least is a clear overlap with people that never got it or if it's even there and they got a vaccine injury and they're seeing the same thing. So at the very least, some of it is not associated. So this my point is that we're just jumping right over that as the corporate media or they are and just going, it's the fact. And here it is. SIDS and SADS and COVID and whatever else they want to say. And we're supposed to pretend like they're not being subjective. Right. Well, here is a really important thing I added last second that somebody shared with me. My brother, I believe. Another, a clip from Dr. Peter McCullough's interview with Tanya Gaw, I believe, founder of Action for Canada. And he says something that we've been talking about for a long time. Not just the spike protein here, but the possibility that the mRNA is transferring from people who are vaccinated to people who are unvaccinated. And this is very concerning for so many reasons. So for those out there considering getting these injections, understand what might happen. Now, this is, this is the lead, one of the leading cardiologists on the planet, I argue. One of the most cited, at the very least. Somebody who has been fi- fighting to prove this stuff using peer-reviewed science from the beginning. Here's what he says. Fascinated. You know, there was a recent paper. I just have it on my Substack. If, if, if you want to review it, if you go to the Courageous Discourse Substack, 
And the first author is Helene Banoon, a former INSERM scientist. INSERM is a leading research unit in France. And Banoon has summarized this. This is disturbing. It looks like the messenger RNA is transferring from the vaccinated to the unvaccinated now. And uh, in a paper by Fertig and colleagues, the messenger RNA is found circulating in blood for at least two weeks, and the curves were not going down. That's as long as they looked. Rokin and colleagues has found messenger RNA and the vaccinated in lymph nodes for months. It looks like the body's not clearing it out. And, uh, and then a recent paper, this is the most disturbing, from Hannah and colleagues, JAMA, showed that the messenger RNA is in the breast milk of yes. women ill-advised who took the vaccine uh, during pregnancy or afterwards. So it's now clear, I think the messenger RNA, that's the greatest concern is, was could you actually take a vaccine inadvertently by close contact, kissing, sexual contact, breastfeeding? And it looks like the answer is yes. Now the question on the table is how long do you wait uh, for contact? No one knows. This, the, the vaccines, the messenger RNA vaccines for short, They've never been demonstrated to actually leave the body. They look like they're permanent, uh, as well as the spike protein that's produced after them. This is very disturbing. So it's hard to guide. I was saying, you know, 30 days refrain from kissing sexual contact with a vaccinated person. But I'm now extending that to at least 90 days and and conservatively maybe extend it from a point forward. I know there's married couples and all kinds of, of, of personal implications there. But... But no, this messenger RNA looks like it's for keep. Every shot is accumulating in the body with no ability for the body to get rid to of remove it. it. The yeah. vaccines, because they stay in the body so long, it looks like they do permanently install into the human genome mm-hmm. through what's called reverse transcription. So this is disturbing that not only does the vaccines not get out of the body, but now they're changing the human genome. Uh, this was shown in a human hepatoma cell line. And so it's conceivable that two vaccinated people could actually... Yeah, the liver cell line was one of the reasons I got censored from one of the different accounts on Twitter, right? Even though none of them are brought back. There's like five different accounts now, but that's exactly the same point. But the real point here, guys, is how this overlaps with everything we're talking about. Now imagine a world where what he's saying is easily provable, right? That, That we can see these things happening. That one's talking about it. Now imagine a world where the people who are pointing this out begin to be framed as threatening targeting the vaccinated right as a protected group the disease aspect of the thing we just talked about the other day right the idea of disease being part of the protected class they were talking about and i theorized that that was one of the reasons and here we go right where we have a situation where now we're going well look these people actually are a health threat to us as something we worried about from the very beginning and then it becomes that you are now actually being racist, bigoted, whatever they want to frame it as, hate speech, by pointing these things out. And then it becomes a big problem. You can see how all this can tie together. The bottom line is, none of this is rooted in fact coming from the narrative of the government. It's about what they want you to think and how they can control your life. People like this are trying to point out the reality and have been from the beginning. Now, you should question all of this, like everything. Question me, question what he's saying. The point is, there's no denying this anymore in general speaking about whether these things are dangerous, whether COVID-19 is actually dangerous to you, whether it's even necessarily there. And the proof, or rather the evidence, has always been building. And now they are just desperate to avoid accountability. So I'm worried about what happens next. Not in a fear-mongering type of way, but in a vigilance way. We need to be paying attention so we are ready for the next kind of manipulation that might need to be, that be done 
to shift away from things like this right here to finish today. Leaked video. Avi Yamani points out from Rebel News, the world was misled by falsified data. It turns out that Israel, in an incredible, this is a big deal, had no effective monitoring system for adverse reactions to the injections. In 2021, when the world relied on their data, the FDA, the rest of them, to guide vaccine policy, including mandates. Don't forget, Pfizer called Israel the world's lab. They proudly put that out there. Now we're finding out they didn't even have an effective system to monitor what could have gone wrong and what did go wrong. Do you think they cared at all? Now you can read into that however you want. It's not hard to see the problem. But whether or not they knew it would be a problem and that's why they didn't look, or whether they were just that negligent and didn't care, none of it really, I mean, truly to the point, doesn't matter in the moment. What matters, these people do not have your best interest at heart. They're not even trying And it is time for the individuals collectively of these places, countries, nations, counties, whatever, stand up and push back. And I'm not talking about violence. Never advocate for violence. But it is time to stand up and make your opinions known. Because guess what? You're not alone. The world is standing next to you right now. And they are so desperate to keep this moving. Say something. Stand up and say something. So I'll leave you with this clip on the way out. Thank you for being here today. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. It's quite known that Israel was Pfizer's laboratory. Pfizer's request to the FDA to approve the booster was uh, to a great deal based on the Israeli data. But what the world did not know was that actually for the entire year in which almost the whole population was vaccinated, two or even three doses, Israel actually did not have any monitor, any functional monitoring system. The monitoring was really dysfunctional. I have all this information on my cell phone, um, not just because I'm a minister, but because we have a centralized digital system and a centralized digital data bank that allows us to have an updated information on the hour from all the different HMOs, from all the different vaccine stations, from all the different hospitals, directly into the Ministry of Health. This is just one example. The Ministry of Health the whole time just lied, not just to the Israeli population, but also to the FDA. And many uh, researchers actually were very, very concerned. My mom is a Holocaust survivor. And to think that the Israeli government, who, you know, they trusted them, they came to Israel because they wanted to be at home. And now home betrays you. So I feel very, very, very frustrated. Very yeah. While in Israel on a fact-finding mission that you can follow and support at bibireturned.com, I caught up with veteran health reporter Yaffa Shiraz to get to the bottom of Israel's role throughout COVID. I'm a health and risk communication researcher, and I'm also a health journalist. I've been doing it for 20 years now. I've been working in Yediot Achronot, which is uh, one of Israel's uh, biggest uh, newspapers, until COVID came. And then I was uh, fired. Unfortunately, I uh, almost two years ago, I wrote about how the Ministry of Health in Israel uh, inflated the number of deaths 
and the article was um, published, but half an hour later, it was taken off the air. And there was no answer to my question, why? Why was it taken off the air? A few months later, and then I was fired. Uh, of course, they didn't say that it was because of that, but something between the lines, yes, they said that they are just firing now, right now, and that they want to lighten up their contents and that uh, my... The truth is too dark. Yeah, the truth is too, too heavy, too dark. Yeah. yeah. Since being...